Hello and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Marchiafava. Hey. Serial Vasquez. Hey. And Jacob Geller. Hello. Friend of the show, returning champion. Welcome, Jacob. How have you been, man? I've been, uh, you know, objectively fine, is what friend of the mm. show Griffin Newman says, which is like, <laughs> the world's on fire, but uh, I, I'm doing okay. Yeah, you are well known for your essays on YouTube. They continue mm-hmm. to just dominate the YouTube sales charts, uh, the YouTube Times, uh, New York Times bestseller list of YouTube videos, right. always, always at the top. Uh, you have new videos about uh, cities without people, which is Microsoft yeah. Flight Simulator. It's it's a flight simulator video that turns into a discussion of how we will be living in the future and how maybe uh, the perfect world of Microsoft Flight Simulator will get more and more different from our own as time goes on. Uh, so it's it's kind of heavy, but also you know it's it just look at Microsoft Flight Simulator for a while. <laughs> Put that video on as a screensaver. It's a beautiful game. Yeah, it's a strangely heavy game in and of itself mm-hmm. uh, but we're not going to talk about microsoft flight simulator for the full episode because we have a lot to cover on this episode we have a bizarre surreal experience to talk about in the industry here where microsoft purchased bethesda we'll talk about what that means for everything under the sun we'll talk a little bit about the next gen wars pre-order mayhem all that fun stuff then we're going to be joined by another special guest mary kish now who's the head of community marketing at Twitch, formerly uh, GameSpot producer. Um, and she's going to join us. We're going to talk about Hades uh, and then answer a ton of great community questions where Ana Diaz will be joining us later as well. So a lot of clapping in this episode, a lot of hot swapping. Uh, before we get to the meat of the episode here, Jacob Geller, um, you wanted to plug something. Yes, I'm plugging right off the bat because it's kind of not not about me this time. Uh, This Friday and Saturday, starting at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, that's the 25th, uh, I am going to do a a big old charity live stream. Uh, I am going to be playing through Sekiro, Metal Gear Rising, uh, Revengeance, Beat Saber, Hades, a bunch of other stuff. They're all... Swords, we're calling it Sword Stream, and it is for the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, which is a a hotline that's it's a completely free, open, confidential thing that if you have experienced harassment in the gaming space, whether you're playing or developing or you know, kind of anywhere in this sort of thing, if you're if you're a streamer that's getting this, if you are watching a stream and you feel like you're being harassed, this is just a place to kind of talk to people it is like other hotlines but this one is made for and by people who are really familiar with with our part of the world and so they can you know give you very specific help so it's a charity stream this weekend and you're gonna be streaming on your youtube channel on my youtube channel and on my twitch which is uh not as big yet but we'll get there uh which is twitch.tv slash jacob geller Um, And it also won't just be me. There may be people on this very podcast who make an appearance. (laughs) Very cool. Uh, Well, best of luck with that. And I encourage everybody to tune in and donate if they would like to. That'll be a fun time. And while you're there, just cruise around that YouTube channel. There's another YouTube video about the future of writing in games that Serial Vasquez and Ana Diaz make a hot cameo in. It's It's true. Very exciting. Uh, Serial, was that exciting when you got to do a little acting voice work on a video essay? 
It's fun. Uh, it's it's weird because I just get to do as many t- like I I don't like it's hard to do feedback on that kind of stuff. So I just get, did as many takes as I could, and I didn't understand the context of like here's read all, <laughs> I, I was reading a Marvel versus Capcom two strategy guide, yeah. but I wasn't sure of like here's how an idiot would read this, and then it cuts <laughs> to me, so I didn't know what the context was. But yeah, like obviously it was it was it was it was, it was well made. Renowned idiot weighs in on MVC two. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's get to it here. The huge, huge news of the week. Microsoft has purchased Bethesda, 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 Bethesda. Uh, Jeffem, take us back in yeah. time to Monday when you saw that news and then give me the first thought in your mind. Um, I can't... Someone posted it in our Slack. Yeah. I can't remember who it, who did it, but um, it blew my mind first and then, and then I spent a good, like, 10 minutes thinking, like, is this the biggest video game news that I can remember happening like ever like what what was what was the last like biggest news story and and as the only thing I could come up was when was when Microsoft bought Minecraft I think was like the I mean E3 being canceled but that's connected to so many other things by the time that uh, yeah. happened, you kind of saw it coming. Right, right. I mean, it is a megaton. You think about I mean, it's the biggest acquisition in a very, very long time. So it is, you know, if you don't like sitting back and thinking about what this means, then baby, you don't like the game industry because this is about as good <laughs> as it gets for this thing. Like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Serial, where yeah. are you at with this thing? Uh, it's definitely, I don't think anyone was expecting and i think people were talking about rumors like oh yeah my, uh, i remember uh, i think uh jeffrey grubb over at GameSpeed was talking about like microsoft is looking to spend a lot of money and even he was like i didn't think this was what they someone had told him like someone is planning to spend a lot of money but i didn't think this was what that was right uh so it just yeah because you don't expect like i think people were talking about you know what companies that might get acquired i think there are still rumors about sega getting bought you know um Capcom is kind of in that tier for a little bit. Uh, I remember there was one other company that was looking to sell. I think it was Ubisoft for a little while, wasn't it? Well, they had the hostile takeover thing. Right. Uh, and so, but like, I don't think anyone even suspected that Bethesda was like uh, looking to be acquired or, uh, you know. Oh, contraire, Surreal. If you do recall, at the start of this year, we had a predictions podcast. And I'm not going to point fingers, but a certain somebody pointed that this year Bethesda would be purchased by somebody else. I forget if I said Microsoft exactly, but we'll recap that at the end of the year and go through that exactly. But mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I saw it and was like, wow, that is shocking. That is huge. But at the same time, I kind of, it's not outrageous. It's like, yes, this seems like about right for the industry and the era we're in where things are being consolidated down and Microsoft has the money to burn. So they ended up spending $7.5 billion to purchase Bethesda, which led me to wonder how, where, where does Microsoft get all its money these days? Like everybody just assumes Microsoft has a ton of money, but how? When was the last time I gave Microsoft money? I guess uh, buying an Xbox Series X, but we'll get to that later. But like, it's not that often, right? Uh, it turns out Microsoft gets its money. Uh, well, quarter two of 2020, they had a revenue of 36 billion and a net income of 11.6 billion. So this is barely, you know, not even well, a little over half of their net positive income for one quarter to purchase Bethesda, one of the biggest, you know, gaming publishers out there. But in terms of where Microsoft gets its money, let's see. 
uh, 11.8 billion of that comes from office, LinkedIn, Dynamics, and productivity and business processes. 11.9 billion come from uh, the cloud stuff, Azure, renting out cloud space. Uh, 13. The cloud point- stuff. Is, is that how they announced it too in the earnings call? Yeah, they just said, you know, that cloud stuff that I guess people pay to host. Uh, uh, then we have 13.2 for Windows, Surface, Xbox, and gaming, and Bing ads, and more personal computing. Uh, yeah. Just in case you were curious about that type of thing. Although yeah, I, I feel I, like, I feel like the, the kind of boring answer is like, Microsoft's not a video game company. You know, right. as, as much as we like to think of like, Team Xbox versus Sony Team PlayStation. It's like, I think that, you know, in terms of their total pie chart, what happens or doesn't happen with Xbox, you know, they care about it, but it's not like this will sink us if, you know, something goes terribly wrong. Yeah. In a way, they're kind of like, uh, if Google, like if Stadia had become really, really successful for Google, like they're kind of in that position where it's like, we have other sectors of our business. But, you know, gaming is obviously a big one. So they're kind of they're closer to that model than like someone like, you know, Nintendo. Right. And I know Sony also has like other divisions as well. But, you know, people don't tend to think of like people tend to think of Microsoft as like, okay, they have Windows and they have Xbox. Right. Yeah. And then obviously the the other big news in that breakdown is that LinkedIn still somehow makes money. (laughs) I don't know how that works. I'm not a business person. I have not updated my, my LinkedIn profile in a long time. So. Uh, you know, hats off to everyone at the team over at LinkedIn for making money, I guess. Yeah, it was a news story right after on Game Informer's site about, oh, Microsoft buys Bethesda, and then LinkedIn somehow still makes money. Yeah, Megaton <laughs> 1, they bought Bethesda. Megaton 2, LinkedIn making money. A lot of people want to send messages on LinkedIn. You have to pay money <laughs> or get the email address. I don't know how it works. But anyways, what this means for Microsoft is uh, they've added another eight studios to the fold. So they are now at a total of 23 internal studios. Uh, so for those studios here, we have Bethesda Game Studios, the Elder Scrolls Fallout team, uh, id, Arcane, the developers Wolfenstein, Machine Games, the Evil Within team, who makes uh, Tango, or sorry, yes, the Evil Within team, Tango Gameworks, uh, Zenimax Online, which is crazy to think that, oh yeah, Microsoft just bought Elder Scrolls Online, they now have to maintain an MMO, uh, a studio called Alpha Dog, which is a mobile studio, and then Roundhouse Studios was one that Bethesda also owned, which gave me pause, like, what is that exactly? That is the former Human Head team. So the original Prey team, uh, once Human Head went mm. down, they formed Roundhouse Studios. So it's bizarre to think about, oh, that original Prey talent over there in Wisconsin, now Microsoft owns that team as well. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So th- with this acquisition, according to GameIndustry.biz, they've added 2,300 employees. And according to a CNET interview, Phil Spencer said that it has doubled the size of our creative organization. Bonkers. Yeah, I- that, that, I, I wonder how much of that is redundancies that are going to end up with layoffs, which is unfortunate, but that is a that is a huge, obviously a huge get for them. Yeah, I have I have a weird question, which none of us probably have the answer to. But like, do you think that like someone at just one of those studios, like like the people working on Ghostwire Tokyo? Yeah. Do you think that they knew that they were being acquired by Microsoft to like the week before it happened or do you think that they like logged on to twitter and were like what the hell I someone bet. on their team was like you see this <laughs> from like, what oh, okay. from what i know about how the way the industry works i think people are kept in the dark a lot i think like you would assume everyone's yeah. in the know but i bet people got an email an hour before maybe i mean this <laughs> thing was 
pretty tight. So maybe they learned from the news, you know, and the messaging, of course, it would always be this way. But of course, the messaging is, you know, hey, we want to let these studios be their studios. We're not going to turn them all into Microsoft culture. We want them to kind of stay as they are. And, you know, just on the internal side here, we got an email from Bethesda PR being like, hey, just so you know, we're still the contacts over here. Like nothing's changed on our end. So you're not suddenly going to Microsoft. So we are still kind of a separate little island within the gigantic Microsoft family. Yeah, that is always how acquisition talk starts, though, is that they're like, oh, yeah, we bought you guys because we love you guys. We're not going to change anything about it. Obviously, no one's going to be like, no, yeah, we're completely changing the company. of this. We, we're like dissolving it immediately. Uh, I don't think very few acquisitions go that way. But uh, I'm hoping that, you know, this, that that is what ends up happening long term, um, because I think Microsoft definitely understands what they want out of this. And it's, you know, they my Bethesda doesn't have like that live service cash coming in yet. You know, they don't have like that big kind of, okay, this is a huge success for us. People, it's just making money hand over fist, well, you know, Fallout shows online. the closest. Uh, they, they do have that. Like that is their biggest one. But even that is like, it's not, I don't think on the level of like some of the bigger ones. No, I feel like Bethesda would love to have more of that kind of steady income. And I think that's maybe why Zenimax maybe ended up selling the, the mob is that they're making a lot of, they're taking a lot of risks, you know, with something like Wolfenstein and Dishonored, like these single player games that um, aren't like universally like uh, appeal appealing, you know, like something like Dishonored, I don't think has, you know, made enough money for that co- franchise to keep going long-term. And I don't think the last Wolfenstein was that huge of a success. So it's like, they're, they're taking risks and they're doing well, but like, they're not like for the kinds of risks that I think a lot of other companies are taking they They don't have like that, that huge bankable thing outside of like Skyrim and Fallout, which don't happen regularly enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have been, you know, Zenimax has always been a quirky standalone independent structure. And so they've probably been scrapper than we think. These games aren't cheap. Yeah. Elder Scrolls makes them a ton of money, but they still have a lot of little studios that are putting up some cool, funky things. So yeah, I mean, it's not unreasonable that they are just trying to stay alive. And it's like, okay, if we can get 7.5 billion, which is, pretty impressive for the number they can get for ZeniMax and like yeah I guess we'll do it we'll give uh, Todd Howard a yacht done and done yeah and yeah. then Microsoft has that in, like vested interest of like we need games that uh, you know kind of make a stand apart and here's a, like I think single player games are a good way to do that and yeah. also garner goodwill right because I think a lot of what Sony has is like these single player games that you know have like this prestige around them and are like have a bunch of money behind them and kind of act as like the well you get it Sony because of the Sony exclusives I think Microsoft wants something like that yeah and they got them now it but it, it's interesting I, I and I was I was gonna say I'm sure I'm sure part of it was Zenimax looking at the timetable for the next Elder Scrolls, Fallout, and Starfield and being like, those are coming when, you know? Like, I'll take the $7.5 billion right now and not having, <laughs> not having right. to wait the years of development that those are going to take. But it it's interesting that leading up to this, we kind of looked at Obsidian as Microsoft's answer right. to those Bethesda games. It's like, well, they have the Outer Worlds compete with Fallout, and now they and you know they have Avowed coming, which was going to be their Elder Scrolls. But now they just have Fallout and Elder Scrolls on top of those, too. So I know. It was like, oh, it's Obsidian was the cheapest version of Bethesda they could have bought, and then they bought that and said, well, that was just an appetizer, baby. Now we want the real deal. <laughs> and so that is crazy. It makes me wonder if they would have purchased Bethesda first, would they still have purchased Obsidian? It's yeah. unclear. Okay, let's just uh, get to it right here. Do you think the Elder Scrolls 6 will be a Microsoft exclusive? Microsoft and PC. 
Nah. You don't think so? I, I think that I think that they just can sell if if they sell ten million copies on PlayStation and they own the studio, they're still just making enough money off of that. I think that it will be a Game Pass game. They um, said all this stuff is coming so, to Game Pass, yeah. Which is confusing you know, so, with so Elder Line, but yeah. If if the if the choice is you can pay seventy dollars for it on PS five or get it free, uh, more or less, on Game Pass, you know, I think that's a pretty good incentive overall, um, even if it is kind of coming to everything. I think I'm with you. I think they will keep that in a very Minecraft sense of going across different platforms, because, you know, even Double Fine, which was acquired last year, I remember interviewing Matt Booty on the Game Informer show and asking him about, after Psychonauts 2, which is coming to all platforms, What's the plan for Double Fine moving forward? And Matt Booty's like, yeah, I think we'll still continue to release Double Fine stuff multi-platform. Like, they aren't as locked down as you would think. And especially something like Elder Scrolls being kind of grandfathered in on other consoles like Minecraft. I could see them keeping that on all consoles and then avowed that'll be the Microsoft exclusive, the Obsidian RPG, so they can still have like a taste of that Elder Scrolls thing that will be locked down. But then I keep thinking about, well, just so they don't enrage the fan base maybe just new IP will be exclusive, like Avowed or even like a Starfield, right? Yeah, because, I mean, they they even mentioned uh, that Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo will still be PS5 exclusives for whatever period they they announced. All deals are maintaining, yeah. Right, so, which is weird, but, yeah, I think this just speaks to what has been the narrative behind Microsoft for so long, is that, like, they're, they're becoming less about selling you a console, more about selling you a service, and like, you know, maybe in the next five years, like their their ultimate game plan is just, is just to say like, yeah, Game Pass is available on PS4 or like whatever, you can get it wherever. Game Pass is just, uh, that is Microsoft Xbox division. It's just at Game Pass. And then the Series X is like, well, if you just want a, to buy a console from us, then this is the thing. But Game Pass is the is the product, is our, is our platform. We all live in the cloud now. Nothing's tangible. Yeah, uh, yeah I think you're right. So Phil Spencer, um, the communication so far is he said that in terms of what will be exclusive, it'll be released on Xbox and PC. He said he's going to be taking it and the team's going to be taking it on a case-by-case basis. Then he says this one in the official blog post announcing this. He says, uh, one of the things that has me most excited is seeing the roadmap with Bethesda's future games, some announced and many unannounced, to Xbox console and PC, including Starfield, the highly anticipated new space epic currently in development. So the fact that he goes directly from, in this official post, Xbox console and PC, including Starfield, maybe I'm just reading the tea leaves, but the fact that he's putting those so close together that's what leads me to believe that maybe Starfield and new IP will be exclusive and they'll want to lock that down. Yeah. I also wonder to what extent they're maybe willing to cut it off even financially of just like, Hey, well, Elder Scrolls is going to like, we we're losing money, not putting this out on both platforms, but something yeah. like, Hey, we're like, I could see this leading to something like, Hey, we're making another dishonored, even though we thought we weren't going to make anymore because they, they weren't financially successful, but as an incentive to buy game pass, this is how this that game comes to exist. Right. Is that like, here's a Game Pass exclusive or like a Xbox exclusive Dishonored that we can only do because it pushes people towards our platform. Yeah. It is so fun to sit back and think about what this means. It's like, oh yeah. So the same company owns Doom and, you know, the Doom guy and Master Chief, like the two mm-hmm. most famous helmeted, bro, helmeted bros are now living in the same house. Or even 
thinking about, oh my god, that weird Switch version of Skyrim with like the Zelda items in it. That is going to be such a weird anomaly for all time now where it's like, oh, the Microsoft-owned Nintendo tie-in there. But I guess they're getting buddier and buddier as time goes on, right? It does. Those comparisons do make me think about um, all, all of the conversations of like, Wolverine can be in a Star Wars movie yes. now or whatever, which is like they're fun, but they also kind of hide an insidious truth, which is like it, it's really fun to be like all our favorite characters can be in things together. It's less fun to be like one company owns our lives. And yeah. and so even though I feel like short term, it's like I kind of got nothing but positives for this. I mean, I pay for Game Pass. Like, I'm excited about d- new games coming. It, it's those kind of longer media landscape things that, like, I don't have any way of knowing, but I feel like I would prefer there to be a bunch of companies rather than one big one. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a fascinating development, but in general, I think I think this is bad news. The Game Pass thing, I understand, <laughs> is, is positive, but consolidating down the industry having less of a range less of a competition fewer e3 press conferences i I think it's a bad sign of where we're going in the future here well yeah i remember when i first heard the when we my brother and i first heard the moves he was like the only person who i ever saw even on across online he was like wait what's going to happen to the bethesda client he was like the only person (laughs) to remark on that and it made me realize that i think uh bethesda i think maybe that like they had you know in the past couple years I feel like they made a big swing towards like, we're going to like up our, our game as part of a publisher. We're going to have an E3 press conference. We're going to have our own client. We're going to try to become an EA effectively. And it feels like this is the result of them. kind of like, well, we swung and it didn't work well, work out as well as we would have liked. So this is kind of like our backup plan is to get acquired. And it's, it's, if you think about it that way, and if that's you true, that's really just speculation on my part. Um, It does feel like that's maybe a little bit of a, a, of a weird arc for them, but you know, as a consumer, I'm like, for now, I'm, I'm, yeah, all, seeing all of Bethesda's stuff, you know, show up on Game Pass is, is going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Stanichair wrote in, just to jump the gun a little bit on community questions, asking, what's our dream project? Combining all Microsoft IP, all Bethesda talent and vice versa. What do you want to see happen here? Can I, mean, I get I, the I original Prey 2? <laughs> oh, because, yeah, they have the human head team, the former human head team, Roundhouse. Oh, I have so, no idea what they would call it, but like, dude, how cool would it be if they, what if it was called Prey 2 Yeah, again? they're going to call them Prey 2. That would be so <laughs> awesome and weird, but technically, why not at this point? They have the weird Prey IP. I mean, yeah, it's in, the, it's in the same place where it's like, ah, oh, here's a game that didn't do super well, but people really liked, you know, like it was, it was kind of a cult favorite for a lot of people. So let's just make a sequel to that. It's in the exact same place as it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are saying, oh my God, now Obsidian can make Fallout New Vegas 2. I think the writing team's moved on. I think Obsidian has enough now with, you know, Avowed and uh, the Outer Worlds sequel, which Microsoft was teasing, was going to be a full Microsoft exclusive there. So I don't think that'll be happening anytime soon, but let's see. Mixing and matching. Ooh, Arcane's Perfect Dark. I mean... We all know exactly what that is. I think that would be a prey kind of level of like, this is called Perfect Dark, but it's like <laughs> not. It's got a character named Joanna in it, but like it's not that. Uh, I think it'd be interesting on the kind of smaller scale to have Moon Studios make a Commander Keen game. 
even though I'm not a fan of like, I'm not a, like a Commander Keen guy. I just think it'd be interesting to see that happen. Of just like, remember that time we brought Commander Keen back and you were kind of excited because it looked all right, but then it ended up being a mobile game. <laughs> so that's the Ori team. But remember, Microsoft doesn't own Moon Studios. That's one of the big lingering indies out there. Sure. But they have like the relationships in place to make that happen. Uh, right, right. Ooh, backstage pass folks watching the podcast live. Uh, they want Fable from Bethesda Game Studios. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. That's so fun. Yeah. Or uh, Sutton says, let Rare make Doom. <laughs> yeah, I, this is what I want. I would just want the next E3 <laughs> press conference for Phil Spencer's to walk up with a giant wheel and just spin it and be like, game on, we're actually going to make these whatever <laughs> it lands on. It landed in bolts. Yeah. <laughs> You can customize your own gun. Or like it just the wheel just lands on Arcane makes a new Dishonored. All right, great. Awesome. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> yes. They did it. They did it. Um it was fun to read Todd Howard's blog post about all of this. Um there's I I love this too, that a lot of the messaging from both Phil Spencer and Todd Howard's like, hey, remember Morrowind on the original Xbox? Like I love that that can be a talking point in 2020. It's like Morrowind was pretty sweet back then, huh? Uh, that kind of got the ball rolling for this connection. Uh but Todd Howard you know, obviously saying, hey, we'll keep making the games for the fans. This isn't going to change much. Uh, but he did say that the new consoles are optimized for the vast worlds we love to create with generational leaps, not just in graphics, but CPU and data streaming as well. It's led to our largest engine overhaul since Oblivion with all new technologies powering our first new IP in 25 years, Starfield, as well as Elder Scrolls 6. I'm always very skeptical about Bethesda talking about engine overhauls because I remember on the cover story back at Game Informer when I visited for Skyrim, that was like a huge messaging point. It's like, we've overhauled this engine. You're not going to recognize this engine. It's completely different from the past. And Skyrim comes out, it's like, that's the most Bethesda game I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> it is the definition yeah. of a Bethesda janky game at this point. But do you take anything with Todd Howard in the blog post saying these new systems? Plural? So maybe implying that Elder Scrolls will or some of their games will still be multi-platform? Maybe. I, I mean, I, I feel like Microsoft probably hasn't even made that decision yet. Yeah. And, and that it will probably depend on the next couple of years to come before. They're probably kicking that can down the road and seeing, you know, what's going to benefit them the most on that. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I guess my biggest hope from all of this is that Microsoft will give Bethesda more support or just yell at them to to do more than just like the kind of overhauls they've done on their engines in the past like yeah. they they need they need more than a facelift on on their format for making these games because that kind of giant open world RPG has changed so much over the years and so many more people are doing it like it was great when it was Morrowind because it was the only game doing it at yeah. that point and there's a lot more competition out there. So hopefully, I know Microsoft is saying, "Oh, they're going to let they're going to leave Bethesda alone and let them do what they've been doing." But maybe send a couple cooks into that kitchen. Yeah. I would be optimistic about that. With, if you recall, if you recall, State of Decay two that was also, I believe, yes, when they were on by Microsoft, and, and that was a tech disaster at launch. Yeah, and and that's 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 kind of what has rained on my parade with this a little bit yeah. because it's like. And and I and you see all this all the same comments. Uh, everyone's like, "Oh man, you know the next Elder Scrolls is going to be so great because Microsoft's going to give them so much support and stuff." Uh -uh. And it's like, no, it is very much their mo to buy some to buy a studio and then just have the studio keep doing what they're doing. And I hope they have learned from Stay of Decay Two and realized that they that they could use a little more resources and a little more help they 
certainly have the the money to fund some improvements. Well, yeah, even before the Microsoft purchase, though, I mean, Bethesda was expanding in a big way with, you know, teams in Montreal and I believe a team in Austin that was also helping Bethesda Game Studios. So, I mean, they're already getting the manpower aspect in place and we can cross our fingers about the tech. But sorry, I cut you off a while ago, Cyril. What were you saying? Oh, uh, I, I feel like Phil Spencer is like smart enough about that kind of stuff to yeah. to know, you know, what quality control is. He's, I don't think he's like, I, I he, he, they might have a conversation about like him sitting down with Todd Howard saying like, look, they've got to stop walking indoors. This can't keep happening like this. I'm uh, sure that's think, the discussions executives are having. <laughs> yeah, that, but that's, that's what I think. I think <laughs> mo- mo- most of those discussions are just going to be like, look, we're going to let you do what you want. Just ask us for whatever you want and we're going to set timelines accordingly. Like Phil right. Spencer seems like a smart enough boss to... To not be the kind of person. Well, you have to release it in you know Q two because that's what we need. Because my name is Spencer. Um. So the big question is: This it? Did they do it with this acquisition? Has Microsoft now met or surpassed Sony's IP? No. I feel like the it, it it's even though this is like the biggest news you can possibly imagine. I feel like the like decisions you would make whether to buy a PlayStation or an Xbox are kind of the same as they were before this happened. That's interesting. You know, like, yeah. if, if I was going to buy a PS5, it wasn't because Elder Scrolls 6 was going to be on it. Uh, it. It was because these games that I know are coming to PlayStation and not to Xbox, like God of War and Spider-Man and whatever, that's what's going to be there. And so this is this is huge I guess if you hadn't made the decision to buy Game Pass yet, and now you're convinced, um, yeah. But I mean, for me, I'm still ba- ba- like planning on buying a PS5 because there are still the games I want that won't be on other stuff on that, and that hasn't really changed. Right. I, I also feel like even though you know Microsoft has been making all these moves to acquire these developers, I don't know that we know what the ultimate kind of repercussions of that are going to be like yeah they fought they bought double fine they have you know a ninja theory they have all like all these other developers but we haven't seen the fruits of that labor yet we're still kind yeah. of at the point where you know like the outer worlds was kind of like their first big like hey we these guys are under our umbrella while this game releases that's kind of been the closest thing and that didn't feel like it changed the landscape of like well we're gonna you know it's on game pass which is a big deal back then but it still felt like, yeah, if I wanted, like, I can, can, you know, if you're the kind of person who's like, oh, Xbox doesn't have games, I can continue doing, ignoring Xbox because it, it doesn't affect me really. So we haven't felt the effects of all of these moves that they're making quite yet. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just for the absurdity of this acquisition. I mean, I remember hearing rumors years ago that were pretty strong about Microsoft's buying a huge third-party publisher that wasn't Bethesda, but it was one of those that was maybe even bigger than this. So, like, maybe that has, like, set my frame of mind for exactly what they're capable of and the type of big swing they're they're trying to take here. But this is bonkers. Uh, $7.5 billion. Um, an attack corgi wrote in um, and gave some stats, and I've added a few of my own. I want you all to weigh in on what you think about these acquisitions and sales in the past. Um... Let's see, are these, uh, uh, you can call them, are these deals, steals, or dumb? That's, that's the game we're playing. A dumb amount of money to spend. Back in 2005, Bandai bought Namco for $1.7 billion. Deal, steal, or dumb? I think that was a deal. That's a deal. All right. 2006, mm-hmm. Disney bought Pixar for, does anybody want to guess how much? Pixar. It's it's gonna be like embarrassingly low, isn't it? Like uh 
uh, $400 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll give you 600 if you don't give us Lassiter. Uh, no, actually, it was just below Bethesda. It was $7.4 billion in 2006 wow. for Pixar. This is where we get into the embarrassing low. Uh, Disney bought Marvel in 2009 for $4 billion. <laughs> Since then, with box office alone, they've made over $18 billion <laughs> off of Not Marvel. Like, so, I, if I had a nickel for every time I said Bethesda's worth 1.75 Marvels. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at least oh my god it's insane to think about all right this is our our favorite in 2012 zynga my favorite publisher and yours purchased omg pop the developers of draw something for 200 million dollars jeffem deal steal or dumb everything about that is dumb all right there we go uh (laughs) disney bought star wars 2012 for four billion dollars jacob deal steal or dumb I, I guess deal. I mean, Disney's ultimate plan is world domination. So like they're, they're dealing for that. I also feel like it's not quite a steal because, you know, like those movies were not cheap to make and we've like, I can't like, I, I'm sure they made money for them a lot, but it's, it feels like star Wars is in this weird place now. But we know weird place now, but still, I think they've already made up that 4 billion. That's, that's maybe the biggest steal of this entire list in my mind is star wars for four billion it's just insane uh so running through other purchases here microsoft bought mojang obviously minecraft 2.5 billion facebook bought oculus for 2 billion activision bought king for 5.9 billion tencent bought supercell uh, for 8.6 billion at&t bought warner if you want to go to the high end here does anyone want to guess how much at&t paid for warner how many bethesda's it was 11 billion. It was 11 billion Bethesda's. Uh, it was 85 billion. Uh, Sony purchased Insomniac for 229 million, which that is a steal in my That's mind, baby. Steal. Oh my God. Yeah. Zynga bought Peak in 2020 for 1.8 billion. And Embracer Group, who will eventually come to embrace us all as the parent company of THQ Nordic. This was just this year, if you recall. They bought Saber Interactive for 545 million which still blows my mind. Uh, that is dumb, I'd argue, but we'll see what they crank out. And then, I think yes. I think the Mojang one is so interesting there because it's like, it's literally just buying Minecraft. You know, there's some like Minecraft spinoffs, but that's the equivalent <laughs> of like, if Microsoft just bought Elder Scrolls, it feels like, you know, it's like we're buying your one title. Well, think about this. They now own Elder Scrolls and Scrolls. Like the companies that <laughs> oh. sued each other with Mojang. They drop the lawsuit. Yeah, which brings it full circle. I realized that back in 2011, when I had I recorded a one-on-one discussion between Notch and Todd Howard, which was uh, a little <laughs> uncomfortable, but fun uh, to film. Uh, now it's like, oh, it's so crazy. Both those people, well, I guess not Notch anymore, but both of them sold out to Microsoft, I guess, in their own unique way. Um, but in terms of studios that could be purchased, like imagine if Sony just purchased like the Embracer Group or the THQ Nordic uh, they have 31 studios. And not even Sony. Imagine if Microsoft did that. If they really wanted to up the amount of games they could release and the amount of development talent they owned, like THQ Nordic would be a, another gigantic get that they could go for here. But Can't wait for Microsoft's HN AMA. Get ready. <laughs> Shout out to Chris. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Next Gen Mayhem here for everybody. Um, pre-ordering systems. We recorded last week's podcast just... In the eye of a hurricane, as a wise man once sang, 
uh, not knowing what was going on, assuming pre-orders were going to be going live the next morning. It turned out they were going live basically as we were recording last week's podcast. Oh boy. Uh, Serial, how'd you do in the mayhem of pre-orders for PS5 and Xbox Series X? Uh, so I think I had I, my I had three plans that I wanted to get a PS5 because after especially after like the the Demon Souls thing not being on PC, I wanted oh, to get uh, a 3080, and I was thinking about getting a Xbox. Uh, I I think I'm one for three. <laughs> I got a PS5. I haven't gotten a 3080, and I think they GameStop announced this trading program where you could trade in like your previous consoles to get you know, series uh, S or X. And I figured oh, maybe I can get a series S for free. Basically if I trade in both my base and X, uh, but you know, GameStop got like two S's and, and like, yeah, they got, they had so little supply and I would have to go into a physical store. So at that point I was just like, yeah, I, I'm okay. Yeah. It is interesting. Yeah. GameStop uh, with the digital version, at least for the S. Yeah. I think each store was getting like two. Like, Hey, how about the X though? Look at, look over here, please take a disc, <laughs> any disc. Uh, I was, I was actually leaning towards getting the S. I know previously on the podcast, I've said 7,000 times, like, I don't know why I have a PC. Why would I get the Xbox? And I was like, ah, for min-max stuff, like we should have a console, right? Uh, and so I was going to get the S. Then I realized that one of the main reasons I want it is for backwards compatibility. So I'm like, well, I guess at that point then, without a disk drive, I got to go for the X. Yeah. So I ended up pre-ordering that. Uh, and for the Series X, it wasn't that bad. Like, you know, it said that it was checked out on Walmart. I refreshed it once, went back in there, and was able to do it. For the PlayStation, it was bedlam. I managed to pre-order both. Uh, but for the PS5, it was so many refreshes, so many errors in the Walmart uh, shopping cart trying to get that sucker to go through. and just kept spamming it, and eventually it went through. Hopefully only once. Uh, Jeff or Jacob, how'd you guys do in the pre-order wars? Uh, well, I, I think I have found a back channel way of getting a PS5, meaning uh-huh. that I totally failed at getting one from a website. Uh, but I know someone who uh, got two. And so I, I might just be taking it off their hands. Um, Five finger discount. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah going that's to steal right. It. He got one off the back of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I'm kind of similar to you in the, in the disc drive consideration where like I've said before that my, the, the thing I'm looking forward to most at the launch of the PS5 is watching all the 4k mission impossibles on Blu-ray. Uh, <laughs> and so I want that 4k Blu-ray player. It's the only fallout um, you're going to get. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's what I'm going for. And I, I, I think I'm comfortable enough. And honestly, if I don't like, I'm okay waiting two weeks after they come out i feel like it'll be easy enough to get one eventually yeah we had a twitter poll um asking like hey did you manage to pre-order anything um and 39 percent pre-ordered a ps5 16.7 pre-ordered an xbox uh tried and failed to pre-order was 17.7 and then yet yeah, 32.8 were just not interested yet as they listed and now i understand there was no both option there and people were frustrated but twitter only allows for four responses so don't blame me blame Jack Dorsey? Is that the Twitter guy? Yeah. Mr. Dorsey. Uh, Jeff, did you end up pre-ordering anything? No. I'm, I You're mean, so I'm still in the camp of like, there there aren't any next-gen games yet that, that I, you know, like Miles Morales is the one, the one game and I can, yeah. I can, I can wait on that one. So I'll just, the, the whole like, 
And I was watching everyone in our Slack channels, like freaking out, trying to find it. And it's like, I'll just wait until they're, till they're out. I just sure imagine you available. going in your backyard, sitting down in a lawn chair. You get a fruity drink and a long straw, and then you just tilt your hat down as everybody else is just <laughs> panicking for these pre-orders. You guys have a good evening. <laughs> I'll sleep out here then. Uh, did you see that fun news story uh, from today that... Apparently, Xbox One X sales on Amazon rose 747% because people were accidentally buying those instead of Series Xs. I feel so bad. Oh, so the yeah. gaming was a good idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I saw someone float the theory that maybe a lot of that could have just been bots who were just misdirected to the wrong listings. But Do you think? That would, which would be, which would, it would be funny comeuppance, but I, yeah, the, the idea that... I think it was also only on Amazon, and I think because of that stuff, it was because their algorithm surfaced it. Like, well, this is what people usually click on when they search this thing, so we'll float it higher. Whereas I think I, you know, that's that didn't surface on you know Walmart or Target. I don't know if they right, that data, right. but I guess it could be a combination of the retailer being kind of a little bit, uh, you know, the the algorithm kind of misleading people, and yeah, like people see the X, Xbox, Xbox X, and they're like, yeah, that's the one. I if the consoles also look similar enough to where like. Dude, oh, yeah. I don't, maybe that's just like the vertical versus horizontal version of the console. For all I know, that's the difference between S and X. I'll just get the one that says X because it's for I like it. It is confu- like and this will be the most confusing year for that because eventually, like you won't be able to get a right. Xbox One X. Do you but, think? Yeah. Do you think there are hundreds of people who accidentally bought a One X will receive the One X? and be convinced that it is the next gen because what's the difference i mean they'll still be able yeah. to play all the games that they'd want to play and it also uh patrick klepek uh tweeted today that uh chrono cross for the playstation is seemingly up seven thousand percent over the past week and so these amazon kind of sales figures might just not be telling the stories that we think they're telling or uh, or there are whispers of the chrono cross deepest dive from min max or maybe down. you oh, got confused between an x mm-hmm. and a cross and they thought that that <laughs> was the new console. that's the xbox series cross that's coming next year that's <laughs> gonna be see, great I, I would love to see the series of like you know uh, orders of like well i can't get a series x i can't get a series s like xbox one x and they're no longer available because they don't make them anymore xbox one s i don't know what that is chrono that's that's close enough okay i'll buy that one <laughs> And they'll have a great time, damn it. I'll buy five. I'll, I'll, I'll have PS5 copies of Chrono Cross, and I'm set for next gen. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Demon Souls not coming to PC. Uh, we should do some mop up from last week about what we learned since the last time we podcast and what an S show this is. Series S show. Um, Demon Souls. <laughs> it is listed as a PlayStation exclusive. There was the Demon Souls trailer. I know we touched on this last week, but there's a Demon Souls trailer that said not available on other consoles for a limited time, also available on PC. Sony then took that trailer down, said that it was human error for saying that, and then the new video just says PlayStation exclusive. Uh, what do you all make of this? It's just nonsense, right? Yeah, this is this is the opposite of a smart delivery. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird for that to have made it into the trailer. I don't know if it's a commu- if it, if if this means Demon Souls is at some point kind of come to PC or if they yes. just set like because I don't know how that makes it there without that being at some point the case. 
and, and they were just like, I'm well, just going to practice is... typing some text into this trailer. <laughs> well, it did, it no, is. this is placeholder. This is this is our alarm <laughs> ipsum is coming to PC. Uh, it's it also available on PC, ASDF, uh, TGYH. So I don't know exactly what they're getting at, but Mavis Beacon was very proud of them. I mean, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. But the part where it says not available on other consoles, I mean, is there a world where Demon Souls is also coming to PS4 then? I don't know what to believe anymore, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, it's it's really confusing. Um, but I, you know, like obviously, I don't I don't know that we should take them at the word of like, well, no, it's going to be PS5 exclusive forever. I think that was meant to be like a P. It, this is a PS a PC and a PS5 because uh, otherwise they would have why not release it the same way they did Miles Morales? It's like okay, you can get this on PS4 and then also get it on PS5. It, it would have been weird for them to push Demon Souls over Spider Man as the like you need to get a PS5 for this one. Right. If that wasn't, if you know, that was going to be the case eventually. Yeah. So, uh, Sony, a Sony rep told PC Gamer that quote, "Demon Souls is exclusive to PlayStation Five. I know that's as clear cut as it can be, but I just don't believe it anymore. Especially when bundled mm-hmm. with the Final Fantasy Sixteen details that have been trickling out, where they say, oh, it's a PlayStation console exclusive, also available on PC. And then Eurogamer reached out to Square to ask to, to ask about the exclusivity." Uh, and they say we have no square says we have no further information on if final fantasy 16 will be released on other platforms other than the PlayStation five industry analysts are saying that they hear rumblings. It's a six month window. It is such a mess. And it makes me so pissed that Sony can just say Final Fantasy 16 console exclusive. And then it's not going to end up being a console exclusive. It's just the height of bullshit and anti-consumer this is, nonsense this is the the thing where at the beginning of fargo it says based on a true story yes and, you Google it, and it's like oh they just lied <laughs> like, they can just tell a lie <laughs> yeah it's so frustrating and like if you go back to the reveal of final fantasy 7 uh for the remake there the framing is they say at the end play it first on playstation 4 which is great and now just in this time it certainly seems like we're inching towards because of this you know mealy mouth squares comment that it is going to be released on other consoles eventually but now apparently just truth doesn't matter as much let's just say console exclusive no one's going to call us on it it's bullshit just think about like all the final fantasy fans that don't have a pc they're like well now i need to spend 400 500 to play final fantasy and it's probably not going to be true it's just lying it's insane yeah, it it seems like the kind of it seems like it's been years in the making because there were previous e3s where you know Xbox would always say Xbox exclusive, world exclusive, and right. then you have to like look at all the fine print details of it. And I I get that you know like companies want to do this because if they if they just come out and tell you that you can buy it somewhere else in a year, then you may end up waiting. But I think the the larger effect that all of this has is everyone ends up waiting for everything anyway because you don't know if they're yeah. saying is it's an exclusive. Like, well, okay, sure, maybe it is, but I'm, I'm going to have to wait to find out anyway. And so that I think that just turns everyone off. Just come up with, you know, console, ex- like, just make specific exclusives. Just call it a Sony exclusive or whatever. Or, you know, and just say if it's coming to PC. Yeah. Or just say that it's for a year, whatever. Right. Like, just play it first. That's fine. You'll yes. still get a lot of Final Fantasy fans that aren't going to want to wait a year or six months or whatever it is. Yeah. That's totally fine. But they're just counting on people not to remember that, not to pay attention to it in theory. But based on that square comment and the amount of 
hullabaloo about this thing. I am so skeptical about that. And it really is frustrating. I went back and watched that trailer again. Still an unbelievable trailer. I love the vibe of Final Fantasy 16, even though it's very Game of Thrones, where each house seems to be representing a different summon. Like, I think it's very cool. It's fun yeah, to... It, it, oh, go ahead. And, you know, like, whatever goodwill or whatever extra thing you're going to get out of out of whatever the exclusive deal is, like, you're going to get that even if you're just up front. But now it's all ill will of people yeah. being confused and not knowing what it is and feeling like your company's lying. Like, that's not what anybody wants out of this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, I have a it, weird it, uh, tech question about exclusives, which is that these these consoles are being sold on partially they're like hyper fast hard drives that can yeah. like load things better than anything can ever before. That's right. If it if you don't know if it's a PC if it's coming to PC, but it might be. I mean this is this isn't even, you know, this is a question I've had kind of before this, but like can all PCs do this? I mean, I have a computer with a solid state drive is that different? Are you going to need one to be able to play this? And do they have to design differently if it could potentially be running on something without this super mega hard drive? I just don't think any games are going to take the bold approach that somebody like a Insomniac would with Ratchet and Clank, where the premise and the idea of jumping through rifts is dependent upon that load time. Cause it's like set. This is actually a PlayStation five exclusive. And so yeah. from what I understand, PC stuff, yes, it's a solid state drive, but this is a very high end solid state drive that the so, consoles are yeah. using, so it's a little bit faster. So it's the rough ballpark, but not exactly the same. I think what they're For using now. is like a specific kind of like tailored version of what's called. I think it's like a, a NVMe drive, which is like a solid state that you basically instead of it like attaching it through SATA cables, you just clip it directly onto the motherboard. So it, no, if I you, bought one of those, baby. So I'm there. Yeah, it's basically the the SD card equivalent versus like running it through a disc, which is like a comparable kind of difference between like an SSD and a hard drive. So I think those are even faster than that, right? So I think that is going to be the difference because I remember they showed off the um, the Cyberpunk uh, system requirements and they were like you know surprisingly low, but they also said like, hey, you're gonna you know we recommend an SSD for this. So I can see it being that way where it's like, hey, if you're running it on PC, it might load a little slower if you're running it off of SSD. But if you want like if you want it to match what a PS5 is going to be able to run that game as uh, you're going to want like this, you know, that that version of an SSD versus like and there are different like tiers of that stuff uh, as well. Yeah. And and that's one of the other reasons that I haven't run out to do any of these pre-orders is because all of the games that they have announced, you know, that they're saying is also coming to PS4. It's like. Well, okay, like I'm I would I'm not going to play it on PS4. I would probably just wait and play the PS5 version anyway, but it's not making me run out if if it's a game that you are that you are kind of hamstringing in order to make it run on the lower consoles. Like if Miles Morales was coming out and and they could actually say, "Hey, this can only run on PS5 because we're taking full advantage of it." Like that is an incentive for me to jump into next gen, but at this point, you know, it's like how many how many years are we going to have to wait into development? Like Ratchet and Clank's going to be the first game that you know takes advantage fully of it. So yeah, and uh, in God of War news as well, which we're just calling God of War Ragnarok. We assume it'll be called God of War Ragnarok. Maybe they're waiting to see what Assassin's Creed was going to call theirs, and they went with Valhalla. So now God of War can God take Ragnarok. War. Uh, what's that? God to War. God to War. Colin Fimblewinter, whatever the hell they want to call right. it. <laughs> I've been thinking more and more about this, Jeffum. For 2021, I think this is going to be cross-gen as well. I bet this is going to be PS4. They're not going to be reinventing their tech within three years. The fact that there's still those realms to explore, 
I think I think this is coming to PS4 as well. I mean, you should just brace for that impact. And I'm sure fans are going to be pissed. But when you have the install base of the PS4, like it just makes complete sense for kind of an you know smaller iteration, smaller evolution of the God of War formula here. Yeah, it, it's a it's a bitter pill to build up a console, you know, for how many ever years that it has been and build up that huge install base and then just wipe it all out and say, okay, we're going to spend all these millions of dollars making yeah. all these new games and we have to start from scratch with the sales. So I get that, but like the, the Horizon Zero Dawn 2 announcement too that it's coming to PS4, like that is a huge bummer for me. Well, Jack Ryan, I'm sorry, Jim Ryan, Jack Ryan did not comment on this. Jim Ryan yeah. from Sony... Uh, he gave an interview to Washington Post, uh, to the Washington Post, and he said, quote, no one should be disappointed. Even you, little Jeffum, with that cute gray shirt, is what uh, Jim says. He says, the PS5 versions of those games are built from the ground up to take advantage of the PS5 feature set, and we have an upgrade path for PS4 users to get the PS5 versions for free. So they had they finally said that for free, which they weren't saying before. Okay, that that's that's nice, but it's also not you're not building it from the ground if you're right if you're using it to just make it prettier or to shorten the load times like i will appreciate those improvements but that's not building it for the ground up i yes. want something that's built that just cannot run on the ps4 because the ps4 doesn't have enough power for it not yeah. just i'm gonna it's gonna be a less pretty version on the older consoles. yeah weird I, I, weird throwback do you remember that god of war 2 came out after the ps3 release yeah 2007 that, that was which would be and and their reasoning then was like we just know the ps2 so well we're not gonna like rush one out for the ps3 what if god of war ragnarok only came out on the ps4 <laughs> they're like we just know the system so well we don't want to rush into anything new yeah. we like I, I it think, the whole like you know ps4 not like you know not taking advantage of the ps5 stuff i think that that has kind of bothered people like rightly so but i also there's a part of me that is like look i i think i kind of think the improved graphics and better loaded times are what is going to be the thing in this gen i don't yeah like i'm very curious to see what the difference between something like you know horizon uh forbidden west running on ps5 versus you know whatever the end of life uh titles like what is going to be like the huge technological difference that we're going to look at and say like, oh, this clearly could not have been done on a PS4. And obviously we never know what that looks like. You, you could not have predicted something like The Last of Us at the beginning of the PS3's life cycle. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I, I kind of like the most cynical part of me thinks that that's all we're going to get is like the games are going to run faster and they're going to use tech that makes stuff stream in better. And so we're going to get fewer load, loading times. But I kind of think that is it is just going to be like the equivalent of like, yeah, you get you have ray tracing like it's going to be more of a PC oriented upgrade than like, here's a whole new generation of gaming. Yeah. Well, um, middle earth shadow of Mordor, which is a game that I think of as like a true generational leap. Like, Oh my God, look at this AI system. Yeah. That released in some version on like the PS three and three sixty. Yeah. It just so didn't it have is uh, possible yeah. to completely kind of gut a game's systems and release it on a previous console generation. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what they're planning on doing, but like it's weird that when I think about like that's not graphics or loading time, it's a true like kind of brain improvement that couldn't be done on previous consoles, but they did put that on a previous console. So yeah, who knows? That, that is yeah. true. 
Yeah, I, I also think if they, yeah. if they did that for Horizon Zero Dawn two, then I'd I'd be a happy camper. Yeah, I also wonder like to what extent you know standard like franchises that we already kind of know like you know Horizon and God of War like even like conceptually those things aren't necessarily built around the technology. So it's like yeah, the fact that this is a, a prettier kind of iterative uh, sequel to this game kind of works for it just being a PS4 PS5 game versus like I like what what Jacob was saying like the next gen games are going to be games that kind of are played differently like something like the nemesis system that didn't work on previous consoles it, it's like what are the technological systems that you know the new tech allows i think that's not going to be something that you get out of um kind of like long running or current franchises i think you're going to need right. new ip that feels conceptually different from other things yeah Hey, good chat, everybody. There's a lot still to try and understand about the next generation. I'm sure every week we'll have next-gen updates and confusion <laughs> and clarifications, all that fun stuff. Uh, Jeffum, you're the best. Uh, would you like to clap out, sir? Have a good evening, folks. My God. Mary Kish, welcome to MinMax. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited you, to be here. Oh my gosh, you're so great. Uh, we were talking about maybe having you on last week, and you're the best. You're just immediately like, yes, I'm down for anything. I will be on whenever. Uh, why are you so flexible? Why are you so easy to work with? What's your secret here? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't do anything all day. Your schedule is <laughs> pretty open then. It's funny because we work, uh, you know, I work at Twitch, so it is a online platform. Um, and part of that is not just... Um, you know, doing the work, the hard work, but it's also observing creators and seeing what they're up to. So this is, you know, in many ways, it's just research. That's what I'll say. Okay. When yeah. they ask me what I did this week, I mean. You're in a meeting. I'm in a meeting. Very long research. meeting talking about Hades. I totally get it. Uh, people might remember you from uh, being at GameSpot. People already in the backstage pass are talking about Resident Knievel, your series with a uh, friend of the show, Mike Mahardy. What is the status of Resident Knievel? Have you done everything? Have you done the Game Boy games at this point? We, let's see, we did do, so we've done all the numbered series. So we did do Resident Evil uh, 1 through 7 now, and we did some bonuses like Code Veronica, um, some of the more popular favorites. Uh, we tried to stick to most like major consoles and PC. So we didn't do like, if there's like an iPhone adaptation, I don't think we got there, uh, but we're doing our best. And then when we ran out of Resident Evils, we ended up uh, getting into Dead Space. So I did finish Dead Space 1 and 2, uh, and we're going to be moving on to Dead Space 3 next week, hopefully. Oh, what are you prepared for with Dead Space 3? Have people really lowered expectations or has there been like a cultural rebound where people are now defending Dead Space 3 or where is it at? It's funny. I think I think the general consensus is is uh, one was game changing. Two is absolutely beloved. Three was like, oh no, <laughs> it's starting to go downhill. So I know I don't. I haven't played it. I I don't know that much about it. I know it's co op. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And I think I was going to compare it maybe to a Resident Evil Five, where it's like you can't always go uphill. Maybe it's a bit downhill. But the fact that I can play with another person should make entertaining gameplay yeah. so it might not be you know the most ideal experience but I, i'm excited to see what they've done with it yeah quick follow-up are you planning on playing dead space extraction the wii light gun oh game? my gosh i don't know i didn't know that was a thing <laughs> <laughs> history would prefer to forget what's been <laughs> your most frustrating moment with mike mahardy let's just say on the streams not real life <laughs> Yeah, that's you have to like really. Yeah, I have to really go through the recesses of all my memories. Mike Mahardy is uh, chaotic. He's kind of a little shit a lot of times. Yeah, he's 
he's a he's a wild card and he knows that and so he <laughs> i have some of my best memories with mike and he also is just like this tumultuous you know ethereal being that who knows what he's going to bring to the table on any given day and i would say i honestly i think there was a very specific time in resident evil 5 uh, which was a boss fight in a very contained space and you have to work together. And there was a time where like we weren't getting along well trying to work together to take down this boss. And I told him he could do a better job. And he put down the controller and just stared at me while I eventually was killed in this exhaustive 45 minute fight. And I think at that point it was like, we don't have to do this. <laughs> we don't that. have to be here. Games should be fun, but here we are, and I think we eventually worked past it. But that VOD is still available. The Resident Evil 5 experience where it almost broke our friendship. <laughs> that, was a, that was real. And yeah, it wasn't him putting on a show. Like, he was genuinely pissy. He is genuine all of the time, whether that means he's being funny, obnoxious, or a little baby boy. Those are all real. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, hey, uh, I saw you've been streaming uh, Hades. Yeah. Oh my God. It's a fever dream of a game. It's absolute delight to play, especially to stream because the reactions to what's happening in any kind of permanent game are fabulous for your chat to enjoy when you work, you know, an hour to get somewhere and then. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, Jacob Geller, you've also, I think you've been playing Hades all year, right? I have been playing Hades for two years, I think. I mean, I bought it on the day that it like was available on early access. Um, it was like Epic Game Store launch, basically. Okay. Uh, but yeah, especially in the past couple months, I have been, I'm doing like multiple runs a day, every day now. Just, just can't stop. It seems like it has taken the world by storm and Surreal, you reviewed it for GameSpot just for the full, full circle here? Yeah. Uh, I've been, I, I played it a little, a few months ago, I started playing just because it was kind of nearing full release and I figured, okay, at this point, maybe I can start getting uh my you know my, my feet wet a little bit so that by the time they release the game i'm kind of in a position to just beat the game yeah uh, and get over with but yeah i'm also like just super in love with this game i i like i've i've beaten it at this point you know gotten to the end boss and like at least 20 times and i'm still like in a position where like oh yeah I, if i could just continue playing this all day because they give you so many ways to do that and yeah uh, both through like gameplay and story um like paths that I just have no intention of, of stopping to play this game uh, anytime soon. It's it's incredible. It really feels like a magical release that Supergiant has just been honing and honing and honing. If you don't remember, we talked about it in the podcast before, but it's the roguelite uh, trying to escape hell is basically your goal here, trying to get it again and again. And it seems like people are falling in love with the story. There's a lot more story in here than they expected. I mean, I watched Daniel Dwyer's great no-clip series on the development of Hades, and there's a fascinating current of Greg Kasavin over there just saying, yeah, somehow the game is like 98% on Steam, and I don't know how it's possible. I feel like something's going to topple it. And now the game went 1.0, and on Metacritic's at 92, I think it's at 93 for the Switch. It just seems like everybody is like, oh my God, this is probably game of the year. Mary, is it in the running for you at this point? I mean, it's it's a fabulous, really well-rounded game. Um, Greg Kasavin is a tremendous mind in everything that that team has put out. I've always kind of fell in love with. And I've always found that, you know, if we're going to talk about Hades, it, it almost kind of behooves us to talk, talk about, like, the, the various games that Supergiant has come out with. 
and how they've all been kind of pinnacles of culture, how we've latched on to them from their music to their design and to their gameplay. I mean, everyone just remembers Bastion as like this like game changer, this like punch of a game that everyone was like, well, you have to play it because it's so beautiful and it's so stunning. And they do these little these, these little particle effects when you're walking around and the floor just comes out of nowhere and appears. It's just like, it was innovative at its time. It's still innovative. I, I don't know if you guys have ever gone back and played it, but it's like still dope. Um, a little rough around the edges, but it's like still incredible. And then Transistor, like, it's just, they just like, I've consistently done this. It's so yeah. wild just for creating new IP and every one of their entries is so, it's just confident. It feels like, rock solid game design even with with you know a genre where it shouldn't be where it's been in early access for a while and being tweaked but even in the early stages of early access it's just like well this just feels like a rock solid confident super giant game again here with Hades yeah, yeah. it's never not felt great um, and, <laughs> and one of the things that's that's been so fun about playing it through early access is like they would have in-universe explanations for it being in early access. And what? Like one of the, one of the amazing things about the game is it just has like I, genuinely probably tens of thousands of voice lines. Like I have no idea how much audio is in there, but it's nuts. And like in early access, you would get to places where like you would get to the end and it would say like, uh, well, Zagreus should have won here, but let's just pretend that he fell down a very steep hole and died. And then yeah. and then he would die and like restart because the rest of the game hadn't been made yet. But they still had like dozens of different lines explaining why you couldn't go further in the game because it wasn't finished yet. It's wild. Yeah, they, they, I think they mentioned something about like, oh, yeah, we're doing renovations here and like we're going to wait, hold off until the renovations are complete. And that that is kind of how they justify it. And I think that's always been their greatest strength. Uh, is like figuring out how like here are these kind of concepts that in a lot of games they uh, you know people take the fiction behind them for granted. This, uh, Supergiant has always been fantastic about like no let's like let's take the fact that this is a roguelike and turn it into a into the story and like the medium through which we're telling the story. Um, and it, it it feels also like this is just the culmination of everything they do so well. Where you know they have like this really strong uh, voice acting, which is a lot of um, you know what kind of inspired Bastion and was made even better in Transistor. Uh, you know this gorgeous art style that they've you know from day one have always been able to do. In a lot of ways, the gameplay feels like Bastion too, in that he he have this action based uh, isometric game with a lot of different weapons that all play very differently. And then you know they have a lot of the like the incredible like storytelling prowess of, of pyre where um not only do they have like all these uh interesting characters that are all unique and great and are well designed but you also get a lot of like um the thing in pyre where you could if you didn't understand a term you could have it defined for you in the text they do that with all the different gameplay stuff here where it feels like oh what, what does a jolted mean and it, like when you're highlighting the option that says jolted it'll tell you this is what this means and mm -hmm. so and they're always really good about like, here's a really unique way to tell a story that is different from just like, okay, you play a section of a game, you see a cutscene, and then you keep going. They're like, they've never really used that as a crutch. They've always used the gameplay as like, you know, whether it's choice or roguelikes, they always like find really interesting stories to tell with that medium in mind. Yeah. And Serial, I think I saw you tweet that this is your game of the year at this point. Yeah, I think this is like the first game that like has made me want to replay Kentucky Route Zero because that felt like a lock at this point. And I was like, okay, I do have to play that game again because this feels like I'm just I'm thinking about this game all the time when I'm not playing it. 
uh, in a way of just like both from the perspective of like, okay, I tried this build and this is what didn't work about it. I want to go back and do this exact same build, you know, even though it's all the the perks are, you know, given to you randomly, but I want to do it with this thing and see if that works better. But I'm also thinking about like, okay, w- there are these like still things, you know, I've beaten the game, I've seen credits, um, but there are still like storylines that I want to see through, you know, just like side quests and all these upgrade, like these really cool upgrades. Like I just uh, this morning found like a really cool, like permanent upgrade for a weapon that just makes it way different that I really want to start digging into. Yeah. Uh, Mary, do you have a go-to weapon at this point? Um, I'm still kind of sussing them all out, but I would have to say, um, I feel a connection to like a crossbow type situation and maybe going from a distance. So the bow and arrow has been like something I've enjoyed using a lot. Um, and I've been messing with the shield a lot too, just because I like a wide range. Um, the bow actually does that as well, where the special is like a span effect. And I really enjoy a nice like AOE move as opposed to being like very specific with my attack. So they're both things I gravitate towards. Um, I have to say, I find that to be like a glowing review. If you're considering, uh, this type of game over something like Kentucky route zero, which is like (laughs) this extraordinary, uh, game in terms of, uh, story dialogue and narrative. Like that's its entire focus. Its entire concept is like narrative and, um, taking on this beautiful story. We have to see where it ends. Um, and to see how this game like stacks up against that is just phenomenal because when I think of super giant games, I, I do think of a strong narrative, but maybe not deep just strong like you get really attached to these characters and you fall in love with them and you want to see what happens to them but maybe like not all these intense interwoven stories um and so i think that's really fascinating and just a something really to point out if it's if it's like on par with something like that you're talking about a game that perhaps will uh, attract you because of how visually stimulating it is and how solid the gameplay is but Uh, holy cow, if the if the characters um, are that deep, um, that's probably something I've never seen from a game uh, from this company before. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably like say that I think I like Kentucky Rest Story's story better than this, but it's like, it's you know, obviously games are made up of di- different ways, but I like the gameplay is, is so like interesting to me. Like it feels like the variety comes from the right place, which is not from um things that feel finite where it's like you have a finite number of enemies that you fight you have a finite number of rooms and stuff but it's the way that it like the roguelike aspects are how do you want to get stronger not like you know how what what is going to happen to you so it it never feels like you have a bad run of like well i just didn't get this thing that i that seems pretty quintessential to doing well so i'm just screwed this run it always feels like okay there are so many ways to power up your character that you never feel like you don't have that kind of agency and those and like that part of it i think is what I'm really gravitating towards, but also, yeah, like this, the fact that the story uh, is one of the most interesting parts of it is still like, so it's not something I would have expected from a roguelike, which is always like, Oh yeah, just repeatable, put a, put on a podcast and you can just play this. Like you for as still where I am in the game, which is still like 50 hours later. Um, I can't like, I can't justify putting on a podcast yet. Cause I'm still like seeing all these interesting story threads and how they're delivered. Like that stuff is still really well done. Yeah. Also, it, one thing that this has over Kentucky Route Zero is every single person in the game is hot. Just every character. <laughs> Can we talk yeah, no about the smoke now. show of this game for a second? Can it's we just talk like, about it? <laughs> I love how they were just like every single person. It doesn't matter if they're death or like a kind of tree that's singing. Everyone's going to be hot. 
Cerberus yeah, it, is it, good looking. You got to get them all. <laughs> Those mm-hmm. are two Even very good, three very hot. good boys. Yeah, and they're all hot in very different ways too. Which is which is like they're not just all like you know uh, not to not the that this entire medium, but like I think you look at a lot of animes where it's like oh the girls are very pretty, but it's like they all kind of have like the same body shape. They all kind of have the same silhouette. Here it feels like these are all very distinct art styles. You look at someone like Artemis or like Athena, and uh, like Aphrodite is very like traditionally like ooh like I'm I'm basically naked all the time, but it's like <laughs> uh, uh, Athena and like Artemis are all like fantastic and they're all like they all have this really cool thing of like oh i'm glad to see artemis because she's going to give me a a ton of damage but she's also going to have like this very cute line where she's just like yeah uh well you know i don't like anybody i hate everybody on olympus but you're kind of cool all right here's crit damage like they have all (laughs) these interesting exchanges between them and then sometimes they'll just have a thing where um, you'll get like a, a conversation between Athena and and or like Ares and Zeus, whereas Zeus is like yeah, Mars. Give him another bonus. He's like he's he's earned this one. And and Ares is like, all right, I guess, Dad. And then it's like here's a boon that combines both the aspects of of uh, Zeus and Ares. That is like a really powerful buff. And so that is just like this awesome melding of like gameplay and story in a way that you don't see you know, that a lot of games take for granted. I think. Are you attracted to them because they give you extra boons? <sighs> I mean, no you know, if they've got boons, you got to flaunt them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like no, no because there. I'm also attracted to the Furies who just kick my ass repeatedly. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> the Furies are hot, too. You've never seen anything like this. Their previous games were all stunning, but none of them took me to horny jail. This is the <laughs> yeah. first game where I am, like, blown away by how attractive the lead characters are. And they know it because they're putting them in, like, no-shirt situations and, like, loose clothing situations. And and it's a joy. It's a genuine joy in this hell-soaked year to be able to just sit back and see these like stunning characters. Some want to help me, some want to kill me, but they're yeah. all smoke shows. And they yeah, all and have just a also- beautiful voice too. It's all just understated mm-hmm. and confident and oh, it's great. Yeah, you look at it, it's so weird that like one of my favorite characters is a tree. And I'm just like, I think this tree is hot. Oh, I think this is a so very hot tree. There is there's a really good article on Kotaku today. Uh, by Ash Parrish called Black Athena, How Hades Gets Its Gods Right. That's about like one, how they're all hot, but two, how they're they're really diverse. And they have this quote from, you know, one of the game's leads that was like, oh, duh, they're called like Greek gods because they were worshipped in Greece, not because they all come from there. Um, And so it's talking about kind of like how it's like we don't have to like make up some reason why all these different people came to Greece. It's like they're from all over the world. They're just like in the same pantheon. They're um, gods. They can look whatever the f*** they want to look like. Yeah. You can make them a tree. You can make them different backgrounds. It's ridiculous. There mm-hmm. should be no discussion over it except for how hot they are. <laughs> <laughs> it begins and ends there. So it, it, it's it's rare that I think a game is so uh, is firing on all cylinders right. in, in, in this way where it's like the gameplay is really good. Music's amazing because they have, you know, Darren Korb and they have Ashley Barrett who does a lot of the, the voices there. Like the, the story is like something I'm still interested in and the gameplay is just rock solid and something I'm thinking about all the time where it just feels like, every, like you know, if you were breaking this down into component scores, it would just get like five stars across the across the board where it's just like I'm I like every part of this game reviewers tilt off the charts yeah exactly (laughs) I get it uh it's out on PC uh and on Switch and they seem like they're open to other consoles in the future but you know watch the Noclip series they're like well we're still a pretty small studio so we need to be confident in one I think the Switch is a a great choice I assume it runs well I don't know has anybody been playing on Switch 
Yeah, I, I played, I've beaten the game on Switch as well uh, a few times uh, for, for the review. And it, it, I kind of said something when, you know, I was getting the email from uh, Callie, the reviews editor at GameSpot. And she was like, well, they're not going to have cross-saves at launch, so you're, and we want you to review the Switch version as well. So you're going to have to start over. And I was like, all right, that's fine. I can, uh, I'll <laughs> keep playing. I'll start over. Yeah, like, uh, and it also was, uh, as someone who had beaten the game and had all these upgrades and stuff, it was kind of humbling to be like, yeah, I could probably beat the game first try. And it's like, no, Meg, Meg stopped me on my first run on the switch version still uh but like i think if you're afraid of roguelikes for being that kind of like oh you're gonna have to like this is gonna be an impossible task and you know like there's no point in playing it if you're not into narrative i will say that uh the game eventually makes it like pretty easy to beat to finish the game but then it also makes it very difficult if you want to keep adding mods and stuff to like make the game harder and you will eventually get to a point where you like credits roll like there is a definitive ending to that story but what i like about it is that it's not like okay here's i'm gonna tell you the story of hades it feels more like you know like i mentioned in my review it feels like living in like a house for a few months where you're just kind hmm. of like okay we're gonna pick the we're gonna pick the story back up that we were talking about earlier but we're this isn't gonna be all we talk about for the next hour or so right it's gonna be we're gonna talk about this and then also i mentioned this other thing and it's like all these d different plot lines kind of happening at once but they do eventually like all come together in a way that is is like gives you this final resolution resolution that feels really well made that's awesome yeah i've just been amazed by the efficiency of the storytelling too it's like you know no character is really going on monologues it's just here's everything you need to know i mean it it's demonstrated even by the very beginning of the game it was like hey trying to get out of hell again and again and again you get to know your dad get to know everybody so fast and not that it's a direct comparison, but it's bizarre playing this and then jumping to Super Mario 3D All-Stars and playing like the opening of Super Mario Galaxy where it's just like spamming the A button. Like, <laughs> I don't care about the stars. Just let me get to the fun gameplay, please. It's just like the complete opposite end of the spectrum for efficient storytelling in games here. Uh, Jacob, I you've been agree. playing a lot of 3D All-Stars? I've been playing a good amount of it. Um, you know, I, I bought it on release day. Galaxy specifically is a game that's super close to my heart and so i just kind of wanted to have access to that um i've never played sunshine and so this is uh my first time playing sunshine and i played all of mario 64 first and so going to sunshine kind of feels like a quantum leap in that collection because uh they didn't really do any updating to any of the games and so uh 64 is still in kind of like an aspect ratioed like you know, 480 running, whatever. And then Sunshine is widescreen and beautiful. And so even though I know that's kind of like the weird black sheep of the Mario series, for me, I'm having a pretty good time with it. Yeah, what is this about the controls aren't inverted anymore and you can't change it and they used to be inverted is that the deal that's that's what i understand uh, i th this is all from imran khan's tweets so not first-hand <laughs> experience but i think the controls were by default inverted in the gamecube one and now they are by default not inverted and there is no option to change it so not only is there no choice it's opposite to what the game originally was it's so wild. I find that a bummer considering like um, there's always like those online wars about inverted or or non. But the reality is, is that you're changing the accessibility for so many like beloved fans of that series. So to change it and then add insult to injury by not offering it as an option, I find a little rude to the hardcore fans of that game. And of accessibility options, it seems like this is the one that's closest to like literally just flip a switch. 
like right. up means down now. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. it's not a huge adjustment. We should be on the same level mm-hmm. as just uh, changing the button prompts there for the tutorials. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. who knows? But I think I that like, it speaks to like 3D All Stars in general, right? Where in it just feels like bare minimum. And we are uh, playing through Mario 64 for the Deepest Dive, which is our huge community game club, which is a very fun time. So that's going to be airing on Friday. Uh, with myself and Dan Reichert will be joining us for that one and Ana Diaz and uh, Ronnie, my friend Ronnie from the Final Fantasy VII Deepest Dive. Um, so there's a lot to talk about with Super Mario 64. So you can find that on our YouTube channel. But I did not think I would be so bummed out about Mario 64 not getting the full remake treatment. I know right when it was announced there, a lot of people were like, oh, I wish they just overhauled it, gave it the full remake treatment. 2020's had so many amazing remakes in it. Let this be another one. And I was like, ah, Mario 64, it's great. You go back to it and it's God, I just wish it was fully remade. Just to have like complete camera control in Mario 64 would have been amazing instead of a very frustrating camera, which we can talk about in the deepest dive. Yeah, I, I also feel like, uh, in, you know, I don't think this is a hot take, but I think uh, 64 is probably the one that's aged the most. Where like you, I think your memories of that game are like, oh yeah, it, is, it was like a perfect platformer in which you could do whatever you want. There's all this wall jump, but like it does feel like clunkier than I remember it being. Of just like the specific ways you have to wall jump and like kind of like some of the hitboxes and stuff, it feels kind of less refined. Especially making the like because I played, um, I got like 30 stars in 64, and then I said, oh, I'll try Galaxy, and then I just played it for several hours in a row because that game, you know, still controls like a dream and is immediately like just playing around with all, all these awesome concepts yeah uh, it, it kind of shows in stark contrast of like this is a really uh refined version of what they did and they yeah for them to not update mario in any way it feels like a, a bit of a disservice where you could have easily well maybe not easily but like you could have done more with that release for sure it deserves a little bit more yeah but there's yeah. plenty of positive things to talk about with Super mario 64 for the deepest dive so we don't have to unpack it all here um let's see jacob geller do you know how this whole thing operates uh, is it uh, uh, selling unupgraded classics for a limited <laughs> amount of time? That's it. You've got it, everybody. Or it's Patreon. Patreon.com slash Max. Two ends. If you support us at any tier, you get access to the Discord. And then there are tiers above that. Uh, Rook here supports us. And he says, hello there, travelers of the digital soundscape. Join Brian Keys, Travis McGowhey, Rob Hudak, that's me, and special guests on Draft Punks each Thursday as we draft everything from MCU, Disney characters, Gen 2 posts, Pokemon, Wii games, breakfast cereal, birds. Uh, this year, I'm sorry, this week, we're joined by none other than the lovely Kimberly Wallace to draft Game Informer covers. That's a super fun idea for a podcast. I want to listen to that. Uh, follow along with our Twitter at Real Draft Punks, where you can also find the link to our Discord. Thanks, as always, to Greg Fleming Queso Griffith for the excellent intro track, Chris Drifter Lee for our bop of an outro track, and Alex, Alex the Hedgehog Brinegar for our fantastic graphic artwork. Be happy, be healthy, and most importantly, be kind to each other. Thank you, Rook. Uh, also, thanks to the BAM Box. They say, hello, Min Maxers. We are so thankful for the support you've shown us so far, and we're really excited about the box we've been able to get you next. Yes, the new Gamer Box has just gone on sale. It might be the best yet. This month's franchise is Super Mario Bros. 2, Portal 2, Simpsons, Bart's Nightmare, and Dead by Daylight. Also, with Halloween coming, we decided to celebrate 30 years of The Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror, by doing a Simpsons pin set crossover between our Gamer Box, Geek Box, and Horror Box. It's our biggest crossover set in five years. And on top of that, the autograph in this box is one of the most iconic characters ever in gaming a true grail item for any collector we can't wait to see what you think about it be sure to receive your october gamer box at thebambox.com and then hit us up on facebook or twitter okay the most iconic character in gaming does anybody have a guess about what that could be 
they get character. the uh, cameraman Lackey Two's uh, signature. Yep, the most from iconic. Mario sixty four. That's good. Mary, do you have a guess? The most. It has to be a character. It has to have. They have to have like a. Uh, do they have to be self-aware? Like, do they, can it hmm. be like... Well, they're teasing an autograph. Or... Yes, I don't know if like a wall could give an autograph. If it has a <laughs> voice line, I guess it's eligible, right? Okay. That's a tough one. It is tough. Who is can Duke say? Like Nukem? Oh, yes. Nukem. Duke Nukem is no doubt the answer. Check it out yeah. the fan box. See if you can find <laughs> out for yourself. Uh, also, thanks to I Am 8-Bit, uh, they are now selling an Ori Collector's Edition for Switch, Xbox One, and PC. I don't know if you all have seen this, but it's amazing. Uh, it's a premium transforming display box with glow-in-the-dark finish, majestic stained glass art style, the flora and fauna of Ori Field Guide, a sketchbook zine featuring rarely seen production art, collectible art card set, hardened animal glow-in-the-dark pin, digital download cards for Ori in the Blind Forest, Ori Will of the Wisps, soundtracks by composer Gareth Coker, physical editions of Ori in the Will of the Wisps and Ori in the Blind Forest featuring exclusive reversible cover art and it's region free and it's available worldwide from I Am 8-Bit and you can get it from their store using the new promo code RES-MINFINITE. <laughs> the code will only be applicable on items under $100. So the code is R-E-Z-M-I-N-N-F-I-N-I-T-E. They had to change the code because people keep sharing the codes on, on Reddit. Uh, so for this 10% off, now the new code is RES-MINFINITE. Uh, and thanks to IM8Bit for uh, supporting MinMax, and you can help support MinMax too by submitting a comment or question for us to read on the show. Help make the show better in more ways than one. Every week we choose the question of the week, and IM8Bit ships them an amazing prize from their online store. And this week, the question of the week will receive the Res Infinite soundtrack, uh, the double album. It is a beast with a full art book. So thanks to everybody that submits a wonderful question. We appreciate it. But before that soundtrack is so good. It's amazing. Uh, but before we get to this community question batch, uh, Jacob Geller, do you want to give your charity stream one more plug? That's right. So it's the Sword Stream 2020, and it will be starting this Friday, September 25th at 4 p.m. Eastern and running all through the night and all the way till that Saturday evening. And the stream as well is sponsored by I Am 8-Bit. And I will be raffling off different vinyl and, and physical editions of games and some very cool stuff. So that's exciting too. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be swinging by that stream at some point. Serial will be there yeah. too. That's sweet. Uh, Jacob, thank you for being on the show, sir. It was my pleasure. Ana Diaz, welcome to the Midmax Show. <laughs> Hello. Oh, and uh, Mary Kish feels like dancing. Oh, actually, it's appropriate because we have community questions here. The first is from Lucy Yearwood that just says, Yay, Mary. So uh, they're picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, oh, I, me too. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Rick from Atlanta who writes in and says, Two quick questions for Mary. What is your favorite Just Dance song to dance to, and which horror game have you recently played that you absolutely loved? Two perfect questions um, for you. This is my favorite Just Dance song currently. Uh-huh, this Pac-Man song <laughs> that Anna has thrown all over way. Dope Pac-Man song. Um, I like. I actually really like dancing to a lot of different like songs from, uh, let's see, there's some really good stuff from like Ariana Grande on Just Dance that really gets the blood pumping. Um, but you can do like old classics too that I really love. Um, 
like they have some classics that are like that that like um oh now I can't remember the title of it, but it's one that's like bicycle, bicycle. Yeah, that's bicycle race. One. Yeah. Classic forever. And it you is can great. like really enjoy the takes on those. So I love um those types of uh, oh my god. I love these types of <laughs> dance songs because they just really get me in the mood. Uh to, you know, get get the heart rate up and enjoy yourself. And then for horror horror games that I enjoyed, I just finished my eighth um Silent Hill game. Eight? So we did the I think maybe it's seven, but yeah, we did the we did one, two, three. And then there's the room, and then we did homecoming, and then we did uh, origins. Um, and I think I've really enjoyed origins a lot. And now we're coming up on shattered memories or downpour. Um, I'm not sure which one you guys feel stronger about, but I think like the Silent Hill series has its ups and downs for sure. But I feel strongly that like. Even though two is the iconic one, there's actually still some gems in there that maybe people just didn't realize. Yeah, so I like those first four, and I really like Shattered Memories. I think that one's undersung in a lot of, a lot of ways. Yeah, so you have that one to look forward to. That's perfect. Uh, do you have a favorite stream of all time, Mary? Favorite stream you've ever done? Because I was looking at your Twitch channel today, and there was one that you just labeled as a hootenanny that was the most oh, yeah. heartfelt, sweet stream. Uh, you want to talk about that one, maybe? Sure, that's a beauty. Um, there's definitely like streams I feel really strongly about that were tied to GameSpot and Giant Bomb that I like, b- that are beloved to me in my past. So like um, playing Downwell on like Giant Bomb was like one of these like iconic moments where I felt amazing. Um, but my personal Twitch channel, um, one of the favorite things that I was able to do was I recently learned um, the stand-up bass. Um, the giant hot dog in my background is, in fact, my base. It's just covered in a hot dog costume. And um, I was able to do, here it is, and I was able to do a um, backyard hoot nanny uh, with my landlord, actually, who is a tremendous banjo player, and um, his wife, who's a really good guitarist. And so they asked me to play stand-up bass. And so we just like play it together um, for our neighbors. And amazingly, they come out of the woodwork. Our neighbors come out with like glasses of wine and beer, and they all listen to us play uh, really classic songs from like the 1930s era, and then a couple songs that I wrote um, that are about Shovel Knight. Um, Mary, that might be the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's it's definitely it's awesome. a work in progress. I just learned like a year ago, but it is super fun to play like uh, that type of, I don't know, like homegrown bluegrass, like classic old school music. And so it's very fun and it's easy and I can drink while I do it. And those are like, that ticks all the boxes for me. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Josh writes and he says, well, COVID hasn't really affected the way we experience games, at least for me. It has made movies harder to look for this year. What's been a favorite movie uh, from this year you've seen via streaming service or some other means? My personal favorite so far was Seth Rogen's An American Pickle on HBO Max. Uh, favorite movies this year in the weirdest movie year in a while. What stands out for Ayana? Um, Well, on streaming, I like just sticking to that i really enjoyed palm springs on yeah like surprisingly charming like i wasn't expecting it to be bad by any means but like was just actually like kind of really fun and yeah i enjoyed that quite a lot yeah that that was was gonna be my choice too yeah it's on hulu and it's the groundhog day inspired andy samberg Kristen melody is that how you say her name 
I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but it's it. You think like, okay, Groundhog Day. I think I get where this thing's going to be going, but they have enough twists in there, enough fun aspects of the formula, kind of evolving it past where Groundhog Day ends. Yeah, I mean, that's mm-hmm. probably my favorite movie of the year at this point. But yeah. at this point, I think it'll just and win every Oscar. So many uh, rom coms that like Netflix has released. So it's fun to see Hulu do one and like get something that's a little fresh because I feel like another, you know, like a lot of streaming services have rom-coms are kind of like cheaper to make and kind of safer to make. So we've been seeing a lot of them. And so I was a little skeptical, but it was so fun. Yeah. Does anybody else have one that stands out this year? Uh, I really liked uh, Defy Bloods, which I actually, oh, yeah. which to be fair, I didn't watch until, uh, you know, the, the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was surprised. Uh, someone said, like, Hey, this is like a quintessential Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Chaz- Chadwick was it Gita Jackson? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Actually. I also yeah. watched it after seeing Gita's tweet. Anyway, that that movie is is uh, really good, both in how it kind of deals with a lot of the the Vietnam era stuff, and also kind of ties into a lot of discourses we're having today. And it has some like some pretty creative like um, techniques, like all of the stuff because it's like jumping between past and present because they're trying to get to the to this stash of gold that they fa- that they stashed in Vietnam, and then. Uh, Chadwick Boseman's character, like the, the idea is that they're also looking for his grave because he dies at the like they mentioned that he dies at the beginning of the film and they're looking for him as well. But every time it cuts to the Vietnam era, it like goes into four by three perspective and kind of adds this filter of like you know, that makes it look like a war documentary. Huh. So it's like this really cool experiment of like, OK, th- this this is also all the time and place. And, it you know, all the characters are dressed uh, differently and things like that. But they also kind of. Uh, touching a lot of like a kind of interesting and like not always super comfortable uh, topics about, you know, the Vietnam War and a lot of the fallout from that. And also, you know, like, you know, political discourses that we're having today and how those were kind of in part affected by a lot of the stuff that began in the Vietnam era. But it's it's a, like if you're looking to watch something outside of, you know, Black Panther for Chadwick Boseman, I think that's probably the one huh. um, because it is it is also like this really strong uh, ensemble cast that does a really good job of both. Because it is a lot of a ways about like, hey, let's honor the memory of this fallen soldier that we are all looking for. And, you know, like is kind of the thing that ties us all together, even as we're we kind of realize we hate each other now. But this one like the this one remnant of the past is the only thing really keeping us together. Yeah. I'm sorry. Trying to have a serious conversation about the passing of Jedrick Bosman with your background, Mary. <laughs> it's destroying my brain. What he would have wanted. Yeah. Anyways, Mary, uh, do you have a favorite movie from this year? Um, I recently, uh, I like to watch a lot of uh, apocalyptic or like zombie scenario films. And there was a really good one on Netflix called Alive. Um, I liked it a lot because it's uh, kind of showcasing what you would do in that scenario if you made a lot of good choices. Mm. Um, You know how frustrating it can be to watch people who just make horrible decisions throughout the entire film. And even like in Train to Busan, which I love personally, I was just like, get out of there, you know, or like move lady, you're going to (laughs) get eaten. This is kind of like the antithesis of this, where this person's making a lot of good decisions. They're, they're, you know, you root for them, but they also like feel justified that they can make it through a lot of scenarios. Um, But also when they do make mistakes, like for example, they're um, portioning out their meals because they know they can't live forever, you know, on like a certain amount of ramen and um, some water. But he has this like moment of weakness where he sees an ad of someone eating ramen and he's like, 
and he like pours it. And it's just like, that's something I would do too, right? right. If you hadn't eaten in three days and you would absolutely do that. And so very relatable characters, a very like cool story scenario of what happens if you're like in an apartment complex and you see it on, you can see it out your window. And so, you know, you can't oh. leave, but eventually you have to. I love um, that. What's it so called it's, again? I think it's called Alive, um, and I might be incorrect, and it might be hashtag Alive, because the, the entire thing is, like, on social media, he's saying that he has to hashtag stay alive. Um, and so he's kind of uh, documenting it. For a brief second, I feel like he's a streamer, because they show his, like, webcam, and he's, like, chatting to people and, like, playing a video game, which is really funny. Um, and then he's, like, so he's, like, documenting his, like, you know, his process and like how in trouble he is. And it's interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool, it was a, I was really satisfied with it. And I'm, I find myself kind of picky when it comes to uh, zombie movies like that. So yeah. I loved it. Oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, Doreen Claire writes in, says this year would have been weird for us all in a lot of ways, but in a gaming context, I've played genres. Never thought I would. I played the Chris tales demo, a turn-based RPG spirit fair, a management game. And lately I've been dying to play Hades a roguelike. What's a game that tops your favorite games list from a genre you often avoid or don't generally like? By the way, they, we had multiple people write in. They're like, I don't like roguelikes, but I like Hades, so I guess I like the genre now. Like, it is really broken through to a new audience, but does anything stand out for anybody for this year? Oh, it should be from this year, too. You know what? Like a genre. Let's say oh. of any time. Uh, I think probably StarCraft is probably... StarCraft and Company of Heroes, I think, are like the, my two real-time strategy games. Uh, and anytime I try to break out of that and say, oh, I'll play a Total War game or oh, I'll play like any 4X games or Civ, like any of that's the kind of like overall you have to manage something, um, those types of games, I just, I bottom out pretty quickly on them. Yeah, you love Dota so much. That's true, but that's like almost a different, like that's a completely different genre even in... Well, yeah, like you're not building so. bases you're destroying them i understand night and day i get it uh, is there anything else stand out for anybody um i mean splatoon and splatoon 2 like oh, i feel like that's the first time i really really got into like a first person shooter and also like played mm -hmm. on a team with people and tried to like get really into it Ooh, what is that process like i've Every time I've played Splatoon, I've enjoyed it, but it's like, man, it would be really it's fun horrible. if we all took it really seriously. But like trying to actually communicate with the team is a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like you go online, you try and find people to play with like through, I don't know, I went through like Reddit. Um, and it's just like, it's, um, I, you know, Nintendo just isn't set up to do that. And so I think like I would have stuck a lot more with it had it been, you know, like on PC and could connect to Discord easily. Um, there's just too many logistical stuff. And I'm like, this is not worth it. I'm just going to do unranked. Yeah. I think people in the MinMax Discord play. Like, that seems like it would be the way to go. Just get a group yeah. together in there and then try yeah. and take it seriously. Because I love Splatoon, yeah. but like, it turns into a pretty light podcast game pretty easily for multiplayer. But I do think like coordinating would bring it to another level. That I should probably try at some point. It's it's really fun when it gets competitive because like there is so much creativity with using the different weapons. Um, and like, I don't know, it's just that, you know, again, like takes extra work. Right, right. Sean Mason writes in and says, looking back at my childhood, I had many influences in my life, but the most influential person I would say would be my seventh grade ELA teacher, Mr. Banks. Uh, let's see. Looking back at your childhood, who do you think inspired you the most to get into the video game industry? Was it Mr. Banks for everybody? 
Yeah, he's he's. Yeah. He was an icon. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about Agent Cody Banks, right? The the Disney yeah. I original. saw that film and I said, "My God, yeah. I need to get into the game industry so I can make the Agent Cody Banks video game." Yeah. Uh, is anything stand out, Mary? Was there somebody that pushed you in the right direction or the wrong direction? I guess I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, in my life, um, trying to think of like lots of influential people um, when I was. At the age of probably 17, I had like very little to no guidance of what I wanted to do with my life. And I was really fortunate um, as I went through all sorts of different things that I was like passionate about um, to find a video production teacher who was like, yeah, just like dink around with this camera and let me take it home and stuff. And that's where I fell in love with video production. I certainly wouldn't have gone to college for it. I certainly wouldn't be talking to you right now without... Um, like just a simple college professor who like, or high school, actually high school teacher who just like, uh, Torrance, prof- uh, yeah, Mr. Torrance, I remember you, he <laughs> pushed me to take a camera home and I fell in love with video production and editing and that's why I still do it. So that was pretty cool. I mean, you're always fortunate to find like various people in your life that give you a heads up or push you in the right direction. So it's always cool to see people like that. Yeah. I'm in the same camp where I had a high school teacher, Mr. Harrier, and, you know, it was a pretty small school, but for some reason, a video department grew or like one video class. And it was just amazing to be like, oh, I can just use all of these cameras and I can use editing software for the first time in my life. I don't have to, you know, record the tape for making these stupid, embarrassing home movies. And then just I remember so many nights of just staying late at school, falling in love with the video editing. It's like, this is just the best. And it's all just because that one class existed realistically. I mean, it's amazing these impacts uh, a small decision like that can have. Anna, do you feel like somebody nudged you to try and get into the game well, industry? Unfortunately. Okay, so I was in high school and I had like a Tumblr blog and it was pretty popular. It was, all, it was like gaming news. And um, I would just take it from Kotaku. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just copy and paste it. <laughs> I saw an opportunity, okay? Um, <laughs> and um, l- then I had like a college counselor who was like, hey, you can't spend all this time on Tumblr. Like you have to like, you know, do all this other stuff. And so I'm like, I guess you're right. So I just stopped. Um, but then I was very fortunate to have like a college professor who was very much like, hey, if like you were to shed away all these expectations and do th- exactly the thing you wanted to do, like, what would you be doing? And so then I was like, well, I would want to like write about video games. And so that, you know, sort of set me back on on the path. Yeah. I'm grateful to her. Zornitsa Karamachiva. <laughs> What it's a really the, long name. What is the name? It's Bulgarian. Karamachiva, uh, yeah. That's perfect. And just like that one conversation. Um, I mean, she was like a longtime mentor. Um, and so she was like very consistently like pushing me to think about what I wanted to write about, um, like what I was interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Suriel, do you have a influential person from your past? Uh, I think by the, by the time I was in high school, like, I think I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I, it was, I think, uh, Mr. Allen, who's my high school teacher, it wasn't so much that he was like, Hey, you should write about video games. He was kind of like the first person who didn't like balk at the idea of writing about video games. Cause everyone else would be like, what, what are you talking like? Yeah. There's no career path to that. You can't go yeah. to trade school to write about video games. Like yeah. journalism is the, is the closest thing. But like, even that, like you're in, you're 
why are you doing this to yourself? Like, this isn't going to work out. And Michelle was like the first person who was like, no, I think you have a good enough head on your shoulders that I don't, I don't think you're stupid. So I think if you have a good plan for this, I, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. Uh, and he was kind he was like the person who kind of gave me a bunch of, of book recommendations of like, here's how to just be like a good communicator. And here's like, you know, Stephen King's on style and things like that. And he just, and he was like the first person who was like, I, I don't think you need a lot of the schooling you're getting at this point because it wasn't like I, my high school wasn't particularly great, but he was like the, just read this instead. Like, don't, don't worry about, you know, what, what the curriculum for a lot of this stuff is just read this stuff on top of it. And this feels like it's more along your career path than anything we're going to show you here. Yeah. He didn't shame you for your smash fan fiction. He encouraged it. Yeah. He, he was always ready to read the next chapter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you follow my chronology, that was after I stopped in sixth grade. So obviously I that see, was, that I was see, no, I won't judge. Was, I won't I've judge. grown past that phase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mary, when you look back at the GameSpot era and video production there, um, what do you wish you did more of? Like, you know, after leaving Game Informer, I've always been up in my head about like, oh, I wish I would have pushed more this direction. I was there from 2010. And so it's just like, there's so many regrets. of like, I wish I would have pushed harder on Twitch. I wish I would have pushed harder on YouTube. Mm-hmm. When you look back at GameSpot, is there anything that stands out for missed opportunities just to, you know, get negative for you? Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, I actually have like a lot of positive memories. Even the negative ones were like wonderful learning experiences, like being able to produce the lobby um, that Danny O'Dwyer hosted was a massive learning experience. So even though the show didn't always go the way I wanted, and if I could go back in time, I, I might have done it differently. I'm grateful that it it ran the course that it did because I learned what worked and what didn't. And I learned a lot about how to produce a show from my mistakes. So to like uh, make it positive, I would say every mistake I made while working at GameSpot was instrumental in me understanding more about um, how to produce a show and technically how to technically direct a show. Um, I learned how to use a TriCaster from uh, GameSpot, and that actually was really valuable for me to be able to technically direct shows at Twitch. So um, it was a constant learning process. I think if I could do it again, I would do more of the things that I didn't know how to do. I felt very comfortable playing a video game because I can do that and I can talk to an audience. But the most value things that I learned was um, how to bus audio through like an audio router and like how to um, make uh, different scenes live on a TriCaster while a live show is going on. Um, and I learned those in moments of weakness where I was like, I don't know how, and I can't stress this enough to other people. Like, that's what you'll wish you will always have done would be to ask and learn and grow. So like, I wish that I got over that stigma that I was a dumb kid at GameSpot earlier because we were all dumb kids and we'll continue to be that way. You should be asking how to do stuff so that you can improve and, and, and grow. Yeah. It's amazing to see just during the quarantine, everybody becoming a little bit more of a tech expert. I mean, even like my parents, grandparents, like everybody just has to up their game a little bit. And hopefully it nudges people in the right direction to realize that like, yeah, it's not really that hard. Like, you know, even, building the old min studio or i'm in the process of building the new one over there and stuff like that it's like it's just a lot of googling there's no there's no secret sauce here it's like mary said asking questions to google or to somebody else in your life to a mentor like that's all that's going on it doesn't take that much work to start your own podcast it's just 
a couple Googles away. And I think the quarantine has pushed people in the direction of realizing that, yeah, we can actually do this. It's not that hard. Yeah, I've seen people who like have avoided putting together a live show for years finally have to. And it's been really funny and it's admirable to give it a whirl. Um, you know, for someone who like went live for the first time on a like a company's podcast and then was like, I guess I'll just try it at home on my own. The reality is that it's never perfect and you always start somewhere and your somewhere will be bad. But being really bad at something is the first step to being okay at it. So you just got to get over that hurdle and go live with your crappy setup. That's just fine. Just do it. Um, that's like the the main you know, crux of the argument. Just get out there and make something shitty, why don't you? <laughs> uh, I'm sure you get asked this all the time and I apologize, but do you have tips for um, people, you know, starting to stream on Twitch, basic content tips, you know, personality tips, tech tips, and it, what comes to mind for just the go-to Twitch tips? Yeah, I got dozens. I got probably too many. Yeah. I get asked a lot. And I also run Creator Camp, which is our education portal on Twitch about how to start on Twitch. So my first tip is um, to do research and um, go to various sites. Don't just try Creator Camp, which gives you Twitch-centric information, but perhaps you'd be interested in um, other types of places that you can also go live to. You can go live on other places, and it's also really, like, valuable. And so you should be looking at the people that you admire, or you like and seeing where they're learning and look at their resources. Um, I feel adamant that the most important thing is that you will always want to interact with your audience. Live is an engaging platform, so it's not passive. You're not watching a VOD. And so the biggest mistake I always see people make is that maybe they have a really good camera and they have a really good audio mic uh, and they went, did all the bells and whistles, but they forget to talk to the people who are watching them live. And so I see creators of all shapes and sizes on our platform. I see success. I see not. And the successful people all have the same thing in common, which is that they're really engaging and entertaining to watch. It doesn't mean you have to be really good at the game. Sometimes they're really funny comedians. Sometimes they're really good ad-libbers. Sometimes they change their voice based on the characters they're talking about. Um, sometimes they're just wicked hot, and that's cool too. And I think like you should just find your niche, whatever that is, and hone in on it. But don't think that a good camera and a good mic and a good background is what's going to save you. That's really not the case. Sometimes it's like a mix of your vibe and what you want to give to the world, but understand that it is an interactive platform. It's supposed to be an online experience that only happens once. Like this program that you just had, everyone who is on Patreon and is watching and visually watching it live got to see a bunch of ladies dancing with Pac-Man. That was a one-time experience the backstage that pass, we like yeah. fudged and can't be done again. It can't be experienced again. Like they can watch it on YouTube afterwards, but they only got to experience it with us in real time. And that's the value of these experiences. So you want to have those the most. More, more dancing ladies is all I'm trying to say. Okay, great. Got it. Uh, Cream McGree <laughs> writes in and says, Super Mario 64 was Nintendo's first try at a 3D platformer. And to this day, it's one of the best 3D platformers of all time. Well, we'll talk about it with the deepest dive. Uh, I keep thinking about how they got it so right on the first attempt. What are your favorite examples of getting it so right on the first try, whether it's in games, music, movies? Is anything jump to mind for getting something right on the first try? I feel like even it's not looked upon super well, but like 
I still think like the the first Silent Hill is like a really good kind huh. of here's like here's kind of the setup because every every other game refined it you know and like I don't think a lot of people are super nostalgic I think everyone talks about Silent Hill 2 is like here's the definitive Silent Hill game but I think that first one had so many of the elements of that first one uh, of like the rest of the series that all of them just feel like they're iterating on that in a way that is like I still think that makes it a unique game it's not like a like a you know all-timer but so many of the elements that made that series what it is were in place just from the get-go in the first one yeah yeah i'm trying to i don't even know where that team i don't know how much you know about the development history of silent hill but i don't know where that team came from within konami what they'd worked on before to come together to create something so unique it's crazy yeah it also helped that like horror has always felt like this kind of Oh, you have to be a little weird. You have to be idiosyncratic. You know, like obviously the first Resident Evil was like, oh, you know, by today's standards, it controls poorly. But that kind of helps, you know, that and Silent Hill be kind of like, oh, this is kind of unsettling because it does control so poorly. But even now, it's just it's a thing that people still want to do. Right. Is like tank. People are fond of those tank controls. Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of in the same vein as a Super Mario 64. But even that was iteration to some extent. But uh, like Toy Story. I think like Pixar's first full animated film and the first fully animated, you know, uh, 3D animated film just for that movie to hold up so well and to be at such an unbelievable high bar is stunning. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it doesn't, me. I mean, obviously it's aged, you know, it doesn't, it's not like the best looking film yeah, uh, no. <laughs> anymore, but like, yeah, the, the writing and everything been below the kind of like the, the, the tech hurdles and stuff. I think that stuff is still good enough to carry that movie even now. It's so weird going yeah, back to that movie. Well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The writing and the, you know, performances in particular really age well, but the weirdest thing is the blinking in that movie is all like out of sync. Like the way Woody blinks, it's like one eye and then the other. And I don't know if they're going for like, oh, it's a freaky doll thing. Toys don't blink like humans. <laughs> or if just tech wise, it was tough to synchronize that because you look back at some of the tools they're using. It seemed impossible. It's like entering numbers for every bit of animation. But it is terrifying to look at only for the blinking alone. Uh, let's see. We have Fizz who writes in enraged about last week's episode of the podcast saying last week, there was a lot of bashing of caveman media. We just think it's dumb and they should stop making caveman <laughs> media. Uh, and I felt compelled to defend the genre. Have none of you watched Jendi Tartakovsky's Primal? Yes, it is just one five-episode animated series at the moment, but is undoubtedly the savior of the entire caveman genre. Uh, I love Dexter's Laboratory, and so... I should probably watch Primal. Uh, okay, I guess that's fair. And then Adam Levi writes in and says, yeah, cavemen represent millions of years of our history and they deserve more attention in the media landscape. Agree to disagree, Adam. I just think caveman movies and caveman games and caveman books are dumb and I'm going to stand by it. <laughs> but maybe Jendi can convince me. Uh, Mark Ramirez writes in and says, hey, Ben and crew, I love this admire interview from last week and I especially love the questions about how his faith intersects with his work. I tried. So we interviewed Sid Meier and it was about his memoir. And I've heard from the developers and even, you know, I went to visit for access back at Game Informer and he's like a very religious guy. So it's like, maybe this is an avenue where outside of games promotion, just talking about his memoir, he'd be up for talking about that. And if that's kind of affected the really positive tone of Fraxis in general, and then you can hear how it went. I didn't think it went well. He was just kind of like, ah, I guess it might've had an impact. Let me tell you about moral choices in our games. And it's like, well, Okay, not exactly what I was going for. But anyways, uh, Mark asks, are there any topics that you wish people didn't shy, uh, shy away from or were more honest with in interviews? 
I'm always curious. I feel like the profitability of like certain like events or games is always kind of like mom. Like I think about uh, Cecilia de Anastasio's piece on the esports bubble and how it really asked like a lot of questions that I didn't see being asked. Like trying to think about like the actual you know feasibility of some of these enterprises. And I wish we talk more about like the business of yeah. games, to be honest, and like the bottom line and the. And I know that's all kept secret like on purpose a lot of times but i'm i'm personally interested in like the business side of things and i wish we talked about it more yeah just be more open with the numbers for games of hey how much does this game cost i think if you ask the average gamer they just have no frame of reference for how much games are costing these developers because that info just isn't really out there yeah and also like yeah and i think that touches on a recent debate like change of price from like $60 to $70. Like there's a lot of discourse around it because there's a lot of things that we don't know. Um, and it's like, why why are games $60? Why is that the standard? I, I don't know, but I would love to learn and ask someone who would be like, you know, open and honest with answering that question. Yeah. I mean, it's also that thing though of most of the time you want to interview a designer or somebody on the development team and they don't care you know, if they're a good designer, they don't care about the money. They're not too focused on that. It's like, ah, I don't know. Somebody else focuses on that. But I guess maybe is it the responsibility of the press to every once in a while reach out to be like, hey, who's in charge of the books around here? Let's actually talk to yeah, them. But then you yeah, know you're I not going to so. get an honest answer about it. It's frustrating. Uh, but I think that's good. I think, yeah, just more honesty on the business side of things. Then even just how scary it is to be developing a game, to be showing mm-hmm. your game in the early stages. I always am a sucker for you know, interviews where the developers just are frank about this is terrifying to see this reaction. I am so sensitive reading every comment about this game. And I feel like there's always a little bit of a bravado, a little bit of a, oh, this game's going to be great. Better than the last one. Just wait and see. But if you really had a microscope on their soul, they're just terrified about what's going on and the reception the game's going to have, right? I think so. But yes, I'm totally with you on it. I wrote down cost of things. That's something that I really wanted to see. Uh, Sincerely, Eric writes in, uh, asking if I can give a review of the new Jurassic Park show on Netflix. Um, yes, I want to watch that. I haven't watched that yet, but uh, I maybe we can do a max spoilers in the future about that. There's um, a show? Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. It's called Cretaceous Park? Camp Cretaceous. And it's like a kid's right. animated show. Oh. Oh. Yeah. They're uh, really going uh, ham with that license of the park, hey. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, they released Minecraft DLC for Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I checked it out. I was playing on a base PS4. It is an effing nightmare. Like, the music, which in a Jurassic Park piece of DLC, you want at least the music to be great. It barely runs. It's just like this choppy mess everything is breaking down i got nauseated immediately because the frame rate is like you know 15 it sucks like i can't believe that they're just releasing that and maybe it is just the base ps4 versions is going to be quite a bit weaker than everything else but i was amazed that that was released and nobody really remarked upon what a disaster it was and then the dinosaurs got out it was it was no good you guys Yeah, they should have kept those in there i don't know what they're thinking that's that's their first problem they learned they learned nothing yeah on PS4 Pro, do you know if they stay in there? They do. Because, they like, stay you know, in. Some are much more powerful. Yep, you got to upgrade. Uh, sincerely, Eric, though, uh, also is asking, uh, we already know who wins with Toaster Strudels versus Pop-Tarts. The answer is Toaster Strudels. There's no debate there. Mary, I see you thinking, but I assume you came to the right conclusion. <laughs> Wait, what I is the right that, answer? I think we should be reasonable here oh, no. at the amount of effort to enjoyment 
because when people like argue to the death that like certain burgers are the best, they're doing it based on like cost and, you know, and like ease of access and all these different scenarios. I mean, like if I'm running to get my <laughs> bus, I ain't going to get a frozen strudel, dude. I'm going to grab <laughs> me a nice room temperature tart. And yeah. it's going to be delicious. If we're judging every food on how easy it is, if you're sprinting to a bus at the moment, that's a terrible oh, way to read. I think your requirement is based works. on if yeah. I can run from the cops and eat it. <laughs> that's, I mean, I don't think that's a bad metric. <laughs> oh, God. That's right. I guess we didn't talk about this on Min Snacks. It's an old debate cereal. But I, everybody <laughs> acts like making a toaster strudel is like climbing to the top of Mount Everest. You, you squeeze <laughs> a packet. It's like, I'm lazy. You can't do that hell. when you're running from the cops. All right. Also, the demographic. You should be making uh, something better by now, like, uh, you know, eggs and, you know, an omelet, for God's sakes. If you're the prepping toaster something. Strudel, or... Yeah, the toaster strudel era is, is nine. Okay, We're so... talking about young, oh. young breakfast options. <laughs> it's up there with Gogurt, man. Uh, okay, controversial oh, question. Yes. Toaster strudel or Hot Pocket? Ooh, Interesting. Because I feel like they're on similar prep levels. Yeah, I would take toaster strudel. What time of day? Yeah. <laughs> time, yeah, I guess I feel they're like those are different, different meals at some point. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> although there are breakfast hot pockets, to be fair. Mm. Oh yeah. Do they have sweet hot pockets though? No. I okay. think they're called toaster strudels. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Cream of the crop. They rebranded a sweet hot pocket. Yeah. Anyways, he says, Ben was clearly wrong about the pie choice. All right, sorry. Uh, All all the hits, uh, cake or pie was the debate uh, on our marriage. Thank you. You have thoughts on these? I was on the show for this. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Mary, cake or pie? Oh, pie. Okay, correct. There we go. Um, Anyways, he has more questions for us. This feels (laughs) like... You moved that on real quickly. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's just the right answer. Um, okay, so here are Eric's other burning questions. Uh, and by the way, this reminds me of Mary's episode of 99 Questions with community member Bob Buell, uh, the podcast where, oh, yeah. yeah, she answered a ton of questions. But here's some more for you. All right, Mary, uh, Bugs Bunny versus Mickey Mouse. Who would win? <laughs> In your heart. Who would murder the other? To the death? I think who's your favorite? Who's Which is better? Is it a debate? Oh, <laughs> Because if it was to the death, yeah, I would definitely. I think I would go with Bugs Bunny because I think he's more cunning. Although, if you've seen those early Mickey Mouse shorts, I mean, like the first Mickey Mouse short is just called Plain Crazy, and it's just him like torturing Minnie. Like he's he's dastardly if he needs to be. I think he's really yeah. mellowed out in recent years, though. <laughs> That's, that's what true. big money will do to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's definitive. Uh, cereal, Pepsi versus Coke. Uh, Coke. Anna, Digimon versus Pokemon? I mean, Pokemon, but Digimon's great. Come on, guys. We don't need to pit them against each other. <laughs> I'm sorry. Only one survives. Uh, Mary, ooh, killer question. Spring versus fall? Fall. Yes. Always. Correct. God, how are you right so often? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. Pop-tarts still are valid. Serial, <laughs> Marvel, Marvel versus DC? Serial? Is he frozen? Or is he really thinking oh, about Oh, he that? is frozen. He's frozen. Okay, he's My back. Friend. Frozen <laughs> like a strudel. Uh, Marvel versus DC, Serial. Uh, Marvel. Okay, there it is. Uh, oh, this is perfect. Uh, Anna, up versus down. 
It's down. so perfect. Down. It's, I, well, it's, it's perfect so, in my mind. A perfect question for me. Down. Well, I, in my mind, it was perfect for what it ends on getting to marry for the last one. But it's marry dog versus cat. Oh, it's. I think we're all aware of what I'm going to say here. It's the puppers. It's Pikachu. Uh, which but <laughs> I'm amazed Mary has a Pikachu behind her, and then Anna, for the first time, do you not have a Pikachu in the well, frame? She's right next to me. Come I on. see. I yeah. see. <laughs> that might be the same size. Yeah, this one's pretty big. Um, it's a knockoff, right. and it is perfect. Where'd you get it? That's Pakicha. Um, it was a gift. I everyone in my life who knows me just gives me Pikachu. So just Pikachu everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not joking. Does it ever get annoying? Is it ever too much? No, never. It's okay. Ne- it's never been too much. So it's just never like annoying. Pikachu toothpaste, everything, hubcaps. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. That's Please buy one. me I a I wouldn't Pikachu know it was card. a knockoff if you didn't tell me. I would have said that was... It's Yeah, yeah it looks pretty good for a knockoff. No, it's a great... It's great. I love it. I mean, maybe it's not a knockoff. I thought by the tag that it was. The butt should tell you. So sorry for the blatant Pikachu ass. Um, <laughs> there is it has n- a hole. It's a knockoff. That's right. Pikachu doesn't have a butthole. <laughs> um, Absolutely not. No butthole, no tag. So I think it's a okay. knockoff. There we go. Yeah, this this one has a tag. Serial, <laughs> how far would you have to run to find a Pikachu to hold into the camera? I don't think there's one in this house. Okay. But I have a Snorlax downstairs. Really? <laughs> Chained up in the basement. Pretty big. It'd, it'd yeah. probably take up this whole frame. Amazing. Ooh. That's that's cool. Do you want to see my favorite uh, Pikachu uh, memorabilia item I have? Yes, we do. That's it. I got this in Japan. It's a Suica purse, so it holds your Suica. But what I love about it is that it doesn't have the front of Pikachu. <laughs> it is oh, very no. specifically an ass purse. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's a, it's, no. a, it's, a, it's a trophy. It's just right. the butt. <laughs> Hang on, I, I have to find my favorite Pikachu awesome. merch. Hang on. Okay. Hold on. Um, and while we're talking about Pokemon plushes, I saw someone tweet it was like PS5 or Giant Mary. The choice is clear. And I think the choice is still clear. <laughs> is, is the Giant Mary is clearly the superior option to spend $500. Sir, you got that I fast. Come with tags. Yes! Oh, yes! Serial has a giant Snorlax now sitting in his chair. <laughs> yes. It's that play. Play. <laughs> good. good. Yeah, it's oh really good. Gosh. That's All uncanny. Right. Yeah, do the rest of the podcast just talking below the mic. With Snorlax there. <laughs> uh, I got this in Japan. It's my favorite weird thing. It's just a little Pikachu teacup. Oh my gosh, it's so out of focus for the camera. Oh, just tiny wait, little keychain Pikachu teacup. It's not in the camera. It. It's not Your in the camera. In... Oh, the sorry. I was looking at the other it. camera. Oh my gosh, it's so Shrink. tiny. It's so cute. It's so tiny. And it's filled with delicious tea. Uh, I have a Pikachu mug for your Pikachu (laughs) tea. There's no end. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Hey, speaking of fandom, Sandrude writes in and says, quick Devil May Cry question for Serial. On a scale from dismal to smoking sexy style, how do you rate Virgil's new theme music? Oh, I haven't listened to it, so it doesn't have a ranking yet, but I'm sure sure it can't be better than Devil Trigger. (laughs) Nothing's better than Devil Trigger. Um, oh, by the way, Serial, um, <laughs> we got roasted in the Avengers comment section for the max spoilers on Avengers we did mm-hmm. because I said that they played some forgettable metal song 
and every Iron Maiden fan known to man came out to really blast me and say that, hey, Iron Maiden is not forgettable. Fuck you, buddy. So noted. Um, Beaten Down Brian has a question saying, hey, Ben and console pre-order loving cohorts. Hello. What do you think are the five most played games ever? I'm not talking about best-selling, but the five games played by the most amount of individual people. League of Legends, right? Oof, total? I would say it's probably up there. Fortnite's probably up there. Do we think, I mean, Candy Crush, is that close to number one? Yeah. all the Tetrises. Which uh, combined, probably, I don't know if there's a, is there a universally, like, this is by far the most played one? Because, ah. I also ooh ooh what about just digital solitaire digital solitaire do you think that's played more than fortnite i think it's got to be close there's a lot of old weirdos out there yeah yeah old weirdo we're seeing a huge resurgence in digital chess by the way oh yeah why do you think that is um because it's a classic game that most people know how to play and it's now in an era where you can't go outside. And so it's a, it is a nice gateway game uh, that you would feel comfortable playing with a stranger. That's beautiful. Did you have that written down in front of you? No, I just like saying the word strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's also really easy to backseat play somebody if, if they're not doing what they're like, well, obviously, clearly what he should have done, you know. Right. Yeah, I see you heckling <laughs> people on Twitch that are trying That's to right. play chess. <laughs> all, those, all those chess geniuses out yeah. there. Catch me by my username, Chess Heckler, which I coined very early on. <laughs> You're just going with, like the basics. The bishop's badass. Use that one, dude. Like, you know, this secret <laughs> really strategy. Is. Rookies go pee. You should do a stream <laughs> of you heckling uh, <laughs> people while playing chess. People love it when you do that. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, do you all have a favorite question of the week? Mm. Mm. From this week? From this week, yeah. <laughs> uh, of all time. <laughs> I mean, hey, we can throw it in there. I like the one about uh, teachers or just influential people early on. That was nice. I do like that one. Yeah. Um, let's see. Ooh, questions should be asked more but uh mary you're the guest of honor do you want to throw it a certain direction of what <laughs> i need more information choosing, what happened? choosing the question of the week winner like what your favorite question was Oh, it? who answered it the best or the best question no no I really the best did like the best what the best question, what's the best question like, is yeah yeah the best question was definitely um uh it's probably a toss up. It was that or like what we learned at our previous game industry jobs, because I think they're both really valid, but it's like all about progress. But I think knowing that like basically we were all teens, some teacher just changed the course of our lives. And I think that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you, Sean Mason. You're also beautiful. And you are winning the sweet Res Infinite uh, double album from I'm 8-Bit. So thanks so much to I'm 8-Bit for shipping that out. And thanks to everybody that submits a wonderful question each and every week by supporting us on Patreon. Um, and now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. Anna, I know it was a quick turnaround. Did you have one this week? Yeah, I do. I was like, I wrote it down in everything <laughs> um, so that I wouldn't forget. And okay. So, get a load of this. Yes. BTS, the K-pop group, did a concert for NPR, a Tiny Desk concert. It broke all these records. It is, like, very much... I, 
would say outside of the wheelhouse of NPR. So I was kind of surprised to see them do a class. Also, because I'm like, BTS is huge. Like NPR's Tiny Desk is not that big. So whoever pulled it off, congratulations, because it broke records for Tiny Desk. And it was an incredibly charming performance. Like K-pop is known for these ginormous sold out stadiums with like these big productions and like all these props and costumes. And it's like, it's not about going small. It's about going big. So to see them like stripped down to like mainly vocals sitting in like, I think a record shop together singing was very enjoyable. And it was a lot of fun. It showed us a side of this group that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, they've had plenty of big acts on Tiny Desk. I love the idea that BTS comes in and just crushes all the records. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, Surreal, do you have one? Yeah, so uh, you might have heard about the the meme of of can it run Doom uh, in terms of like, hey, we're going to get all this technology to run Doom. And that's kind of like the thing that you do on any kind of screen. But someone actually did something very different. Uh, where they released a Doom mod, which is a mod for the original Doom, that is a Mortal Kombat game. So what? you basically what you can do is you can play this kind of like hybrid version of like two and three with twelve characters. That is like he, you basically run Doom and you find a thing and then you basically play Mortal Kombat inside of Doom. And it's like a, they kind of redid, like they just imported a bunch of the assets and just weird. It, it is a fully playable Doom. And they also have like a bunch of references to Doom in the game itself, where a lot of like the, the animalities and transformations and stuff, instead of transforming, you know, Luke Kang into a dragon, it turns him into a demon from that uses the assets from Doom. Weird. Uh, so it's this weird, like it's, it's more like, it feels like more like performance art than it is like, Oh yeah, there's a cool game you can play. It just feels like I did this cause I thought I could. And it's like, it's, there's a video, you know, from the YouTube channel, uh, PND, uh, ketchup and mustard. And the, yeah, it just goes into detail of, of what the mod is and how it came to be. And like, it's, it seems like a pretty interesting feat because it looks pretty close to what mortal Kombat two and three look like, which is impressive to yeah. run inside of doom. That's awesome. Uh, Mary, did you have one? Uh, so this is just content that we're like saying everybody should know what this is. Yeah, something that uh, you said, hey, this is interesting. What an interesting little oh, tidbit. Absolutely. It, could be a- it is the Pac-Man <laughs> Pinky, Blinky, Clyde, and Pinky dance. I just found out about this, you guys. Uh-huh. You're going to be blown away <laughs> by the choreography, the colors, uh-huh. the outfit, iconic <laughs> dance moves. Let's give it up again for the Pac-Man dance. Woo! It's really stunning. Anyways, hey, get a load of this. Uh, I just had a long road trip out to South Dakota. I went on vacation out there in the Badlands uh, and uh, Black Hills, and it was just wonderful. And on the drive, I listened to this history podcast called The Constant, which is about history, a history of getting things wrong, which is an interesting theme. And they have this recurring theme within the podcast of just bashing Aristotle, one of the wisest minds of all time, because he just constantly got everything wrong. Mm -hmm. Like he wrote extensively about, you know, how shark mouths should be on the tip of their nose, but they're not. They're underneath. Otherwise, they would eat too much and choke to death. Um, He argued that women have fewer teeth than men. It's like, well, everybody knows. It's like, Classic argument. Like Aristotle just There's no counted. way you can prove that one wrong. He, oh, that old chestnut. Yeah. He, he also wrote that flies have four legs, 
It's like, Aristotle, just look at a fly, you idiot. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and then he was arguing. Philosophy, dude. Yeah, he was arguing that snot was chunks of our brain that was coming out of our faces. So. Okay, this gives fair. me hope, though, because, you know, you see so many bad takes on Twitter and coming from my yours truly. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, it's like a, you know, brain melt just on the internet so imagine if aristotle had twitter and was like women have fewer teeth than men um you know we only see see the good we only see the good takes looking back you know and so this gives me a little hope for everyone else yeah we can all be aristotle Aristotle ate his own boogers because he was afraid he was losing his brain mass (laughs) yeah like every time every time he sneezed he just had like a little ancient greek shot glass in front of him then just like threw it back immediately (laughs) Hey, it's Aristotle. Don't blame me. Um, okay, <laughs> Mary. Be, I mean, yeah. Oh, yes, Ariel. No, I said to be fair, the guy also thought sharks should have mouths in the front. So how much how much brain power could he have? That's a good point. <laughs> he's if running he's on so fumes. smart, how come he's dead? <laughs> <laughs> a good come at us, Aristotle, or your ancestors. We'll take them all on. Do you think? Are there any people that claim to be ancestors of like those ancient Greeks? Do you think, or is it just all of Greece? Of like. Yeah. Oh, wait, of all ancient Greeks ever. I'm just saying, do you think if there's a family in Greece that like, hey, we came from Aristotle. Oh, from Aristotle's. No. Okay, great. Then come at us, they Aristotelians. Talk like, they talk like mobsters from the 1940s. <laughs> Look. Hey, I'm, I'm, our ancestors were mafia, the Aristotle. Hey, Let me tell you about a like cave, thing. see? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's very philosophical. You <laughs> nailed it. You get the idea. Oh, yeah. Um, Mary, what would you like to plug? Uh, I stream three days a week. I stream uh, typically indie games on Monday. I stream Resident Evil or Dead Space on Tuesday. And I stream Silent Hill on Thursday. So come take a look. And if they were to Google something specifically, what should they Google? It would be my name, Mary Kish. Um, my Twitter is M E or Twitch is M-E-R-R-Y-K-I-S-H. Perfect. Thank Check you. It out. Yeah, thank you Get for being here. here. You have been a delight. Thanks for swinging by. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, this media will change my life forever. I feel blessed to have been exposed to it. Thank you guys for having fun with me today. I appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And thanks everybody that's in the Backstage Past for watching live and submitting great answers to the questions from the community. And thanks to the following Patreon supporters for their generous support of MinMax at the $50 tier. The Bam Box, Rob Hudak, I'm 8-Bit, Jawar Hello, Mirko Rico Torino, Tyler Thorny, Zachary Pliggy, Rebecca Lang, Beaten Down Brian, Brian with a Y, Andy Clark, Mark Seliga, Captain Stubbs 1, Ludwig Roque, Andrew Valla, Chris, Jesse Vitelli, Thomas Hoster, Snake 24, Yaro, Willem Garcia, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, JT Fell, Spider Dan, Steve Bamdad, Alex Payne. Thank you so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go! Yeah.